Microphone checker, all year internet's listen. Shouts to everybody who checked out last week's episode with Brooklyn's own Uncle Murder. Man, that dude, unfiltered, speaking about so many different things. I mean, he one thing I'm really proud about is his transition. Signed to Jay-Z, signed to 50, you know, the wrap-up, so, so many different things, and he's still around. I'm proud of that. Make sure if you haven't checked it out, check out the Uncle Murder episode. It's a good one for sure. And internets, I always say this. Tell a friend to tell a friend, okay? If there's an episode that you like, listen, okay? If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the Premium Pete Show. If you've been around since day one, man, I appreciate you. Blessings. This is what it is. Premium Pete Show will and always be. You'll never know who's going to be on. It could be a Sopranos actor. It could be an athlete. It could be the founder of Venmo. It could be producers, DJs, rappers. It could be a story of a guy who won the lotto and now is broke. And maybe he's rich again. I don't know. But we have people from all walks of life. I don't just, one thing I'm really proud of, and, you know, I could always say this, and shouts to my, my brother, the late, great Combat Jack. We always put on the podcast who we wanted. We didn't just put on people because we thought they were cool or was hype at the moment. We put we put on who we wanted, and I'm going to continue to do that. And I know internet's worldwide, check in every week. Internet, let me tell you something. When I tell you to open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, and check the fuck in. Let me know where you're listening from. I love when internet's check in. They tweet me like, yo, I'm from Mississippi. I'm listening to this episode. Or even if you want to suggest an episode, I'm open. Like, yo, you should get this person on. I would like to see this person on. No problem. You know, if you want, you could also email me, Show at gmail.com. Again, that's the premium show at gmail.com. One thing I've always tried to do is I'm not just a podcaster. Okay, they might sound a real uh, international on that. So I'm not just a podcaster. I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm in many buckets. You know, I'm a father first and foremost. You know what I mean? And and been involved in a lot of things, entrepreneurial things, and food stuff, and 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 streetwear stuff. So if I could be of help to anybody, you know what I mean? Email me. You know, DM me. You know, feel free if you're going through something. I always tell people, don't bottle that in. You know, find at least one person you could talk to, you know, and and, and get that off your chest. So, you know, I don't want to get past the Pete before we start this episode, but I really, I really want to tell you, like I was saying, we're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud, we're on, we're on all streaming services. So however you connect, subscribe to us. If you're on iTunes, I want you to do me a favor, rate us, rate us five stars, okay, and leave a comment. But more importantly, tell a friend to tell a friend. Like I said, we have episodes from the founder of Venmo to athletes to actors to everybody. The stories that are, to me, I feel like inspiring. It's not just about premium Pete. It's just about inspiring. And when I travel the world and I see different people and I hear how much they appreciate it, that really makes me proud because it's not just about me. It's about for the people. Now, okay, we're also on YouTube. There's some behind-the-scenes clips, and we're really starting to put a lot of clips on YouTube. So subscribe to us on YouTube, tell a friend to tell a friend on YouTube as well. Now this episode that we're going to get into, okay, first of all, let me just give you some info. I taped it a couple of months ago at A3C with my brother Greg Street. I've been wanting to do an episode with him. He, to me, not only is he a DJ, a dot connector, somebody who has been involved in so many moments in hip-hop. Now, I apologize, the first 30 minutes, the mics went out, so it's the camera audio, it's not the best audio. Then after the 30 minutes, you get about an hour and change of, uh, uh, you know, the portable, you know, recorder. So it's better audio. 
So again, I apologize. The first 30 minutes of the audio is camera audio, but it's still decent. Um, but there's a lot of gems, man. Greg Street has been around a long time. You know, to me, like I said, he's he, he's a he's a I, I call him a humble dude in here a lot because he, he doesn't brag and people don't talk about him as much as I think he should. A dude that really helped put Rick Ross on, a dude that inspired and, 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 and you know, lended multiple advice to outcasts. Has put so many. I mean, look. One thing about Greg Street is like, and if you're a kid or a father, especially in Atlanta, you know who he is. You know, down in the south. I mean, he's especially, and he's a sneaker fiend, a fellow, a, a very big deal as a sneaker fiend. I remember going to his house. Do have like four rooms full of sneakers and everything. So I'm proud of that dude. Listen, um, internet's make sure you make sure, and what I want you to make sure you always do. Is, is is tell your family, your loved ones, or whoever that you love them. Last week, my mother is a twin. Her and Aunt Bob, you know, if you mess with me on Instagram, you know who Aunt Bob is. Um, Mama Premium and Aunt Bob celebrated 75 years. They're twins, their birthday, man, and I was so happy to uh, be able to celebrate that with them. Now, the sad part is, for those of you who know, my grandmother passed away a couple of months ago. So that was the first birthday without Grandma Premium. But we know she's watching over us. So, you know, I always say this, bro. As we get older, so is, so is our parents, so is our loved ones. So make sure you get a chance to spend time with them, even if it's grabbing breakfast, a lunch, a phone call, or whatever it is. I, I always, I don't want to be like, yo, you know, like Pastor Pete sometimes. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I promise you it's the little things in life that mean the most. Internets, I don't even want to say no more. Remember, the audio in the beginning of this Greg Street episode is a camera audio, then it gets better audio afterwards. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Make sure you at me, Premium Pete, at, uh, on uh, Twitter, Premium Pete on uh, Instagram, Premium Pete Show on both as well. Uh, let me know what episode you like, and let me know what you think about this episode. Leave a comment, rate, tell a friend to tell a friend. And again, Internet's worldwide on the check-in, okay? I don't even need to go over where it's from. Everybody from Italy, Jakarta, Shanghai, eh, to in the States. I appreciate you. And we're going to keep it going, man. We're going to keep doing different things this year. I want to send peace and blessings to you and your family. Internets, I present to you the DJ Greg Street episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go, Internets. Let's turn up one time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show cause milk said so fuck what you heard better act like you know it's the premium pete show internet welcome back to another episode of the premium pete show this one is live frankie's home that's right that's the voice of the one and only my friend mr greg street frankie's home some people know him as dj greg street okay some people call him uh a very humble collector sneaker collector one of the biggest in the game Okay, but he won't say that because I don't know for some reason he's not a he's not a braggadocious guy on that type of stuff. But somebody, honestly, let me tell you something. We sat down with Greg Street when we were in ATL Live a couple of years ago, like two years ago, I think. Yep. We sat down, but it was like something simple. I had a couple of people pass by, KP passed by, Angela Yee, and I was like, damn, when I come back to Atlanta, I want to sit down with Greg where people can get. Look, I look at it this way, Greg, and you've been doing interviews, you've been doing radio, fucking twenty plus years. 
I, I look at it like this. I want people who know you to get to know you a little bit more. People who don't, to know you at all. Now, for people of Great Street, they say Atlanta. Okay, a lot of people remember V103. But what about, like, Texas? Yeah, Dallas, K-104, Houston, Magic 102, mm-hmm. uh, Mobile, Alabama, 93 BLX. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think about starting radio? You started at a young age. But when you were just, you start off, didn't you live in Mississippi? Yep, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Now, honestly, I'm a kid from Brooklyn. What, is that, like, what, is, what does that even smell like at that time? What does that even mean, like, Mississippi? Hattiesburg or Hattiesburg? Hattiesburg, H-A-T-T. What does that even mean? It's a small city, um, small town, you know, uh, Southern Miss. Mm-hmm. There's a few people from the town, Major League Baseball players, uh, NFL football players, um, some people on TV. Um, now, what about mom and dad? Oh, you live with mom and dad? Oh, yeah, I live with mom and dad. What um, would they do? My mom was worked in medical hospital, and my dad um, was was like, a, uh, he was a, he was an auto mechanic, but he was also an electronic, electronics um, guy. So he did TV and radio repair and different stuff like that. But he also took care his job. His job job was he was in charge of all the cars for uh, for Bell South. Mm. Now, let me ask you: Did the did mom cook every day, or like you know, did they have like a, was it like farm type style? Like no. My father had land outside the city. Well, we, we had like a, um, not really a farm, but a garden. It's like mm-hmm. on a couple acres of land. And, and mom will cook? Yeah, she cooked. Mm-hmm. Now, you and Pops had a, a good relationship? Yeah. Hunting, mm-hmm. fishing, all that. Everything. That's why you love fishing so much. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. fishing before I was DJing. Okay. Yeah, but there's not a lot of money in fishing. There's a lot of money in well, fishing. Well, okay, but maybe I said that wrong. It's not easy. Well, even DJ's not easy to break into. But but it's pretty easy to break into fishing, actually. If you got. But money. how do you make? Okay, so let me rephrase that. How do you make money? This with is fishing. Trust trust me. Do your research. Mm-hmm. It's a seven hundred and fifty billion dollar industry. Mm. The guy who owns Bass Pro Shop got more money than Donald Trump. Mm. Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> you, you realize when when the, when the Memphis Grizzlies moved out of the pyramid in Memphis. Um, Johnny Morris and Bill Dance turned that basketball arena and hockey arena into a Bass Pro Shop. Mm. It's crazy. You got to go see it. Cabellos. And he bought Cabellos. Yeah. So he owns Cabellos and Bass Pro Shop. You know, I used to love, uh, when I was growing up, I used to love fishing street. Um, it was one of the few times I felt peacefulness. You got to start back. Yeah. It's a big bass fishing market in New York. Yeah. Believe it or not. You know, you also, growing up, uh, I know you used to like to ride a lot of motorcycles. Yep. You know, is that something that just came, like, as a hobby or somebody in your family who had inspired you? Me and my friends. Okay. Me and my friends had them when we was kids. No helmets? Oh, no. We had helmets. Really? (laughs) Yes, we had helmets. I feel like now, like, if you get pulled over for stuff like that, you get a lot of tickets. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not wearing a helmet, you know what I mean? If you don't have registration or license. Well, most people, I mean, you, you don't really, like... It's too dangerous now to ride without helmets. It's yeah. not just about how skilled of a rider you are. It's about how bad of a driver the people are that's around you. Mm-hmm. You got to be in every aspect of a de- defensive driver the best you can be in order to prevent bad things from happening. 
You know, one thing I like about uh, U Street, honestly, I mean this as a friend, is uh, you've been able to evolve all these years. You know, people think of it's crazy because it's young kids that think of you from radio, like, oh, that's uh, V103, you know what I mean? And it's older dudes that grew up listening to you. Pops, uncles, you know, like, I've seen it firsthand from being out in A3C in Atlanta for like eight, nine years already. Yeah. I've seen people, like, when I mention, like, your name gets mentioned, they're like, oh, I know, I, we grew up on Greg Street. And it's not just on some, and, and I, I say that because I don't know how you, you know, I don't know if you had a plan or how you did this because back home, we respect Flex, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of people feel like he's been on too long. I feel like I don't get that out here from you. You know what I mean? Like people are like, oh, he needs to pass the torch or, you know, he talks too much over the stuff. Like, <laughs> they get mad at Flex, like, you know what I mean? Like Flex is legendary, but. Oh, that's my man. But they feel like, you know, he has a lot. I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to tell you something that people, 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 when they look at the music industry and they look at radio and they look at entertainment, period, they always look at what you, what are you doing right now. Yeah. They don't think about what you've done. Like Flex is a good friend of mine, and I see a different, a lot of different things that he go through um, with people, you know, coming at him about he's too old to be on radio. But what you got to really understand about Flex, Flex was a Flex is a humble guy, number one, and number two. Like, as far as DJs, he's one of the most accomplished DJs in the game because he's sitting back and he watched Chuck chill out. He watched Red Alert. He watched all the guys before him in his market do what they did, become what they became, and he was able to figure out his own strategy to even be in his work, in his time, bigger. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You got to think Flex, Flex, Flex had a deal with Ford where he actually has a car that you can go buy. You can go to the car dealership and buy a Ford Flex. <laughs> before before the Ford Flex in 2008, he had a, a limited edition uh, Ford Expedition. That yeah, they came, that. they came out with. They had they made like a few thousand of them. Yep, yep. So it's like when you when you when you can make when you have those type of accomplishments, you can't take. That stuff, like, for, for all the DJs, you know how I am, like, Clark Kent, um, DJ Irie, uh, DJ Mars, um, Just Blaze, mm -hmm. all the DJs that are in the culture that I'm in, like, with the sneakers and different stuff like that, I buy all these sneakers. Mm -hmm. I try to get all of them because it's like, we got to support each other. We got to celebrate each other. We got to honor each other. Like, I kick myself in the ass sometimes because I didn't buy one of those expeditions. And my, one of my homeboys, Malcolm Cunningham, he had a Ford dealership in, in Decatur on the east side when the truck was out. So I could have gotten one for a good deal. But it's like, you, you, you got to respect that. And people, I mean, people don't look up, don't look at it, but you know, like, from us making records and, 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 and doing sneaker deals and doing, make, you know, doing all types of stuff, doing car shows and bike shows and sneaker shows and concerts and different things that we do. People don't, People in the industry don't look don't look at it the same way as regular people do, and that's why with me, one of my strategies has always been I don't get caught up in the industry stuff. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not even about the industry people. It's not about y'all. It's about the real people. It's about the people you say when you in the land that you bump into. Sure, sure. That's what it's really all about. It's not about the industry people. You know what I'm saying? It's like with social media, the whole world radio has always been social media. So now with everybody having access to social media with, with the different apps and different platforms, now everybody's starting to understand what social media is, 
but a lot of people still don't get it. It's like you try to be famous, but you got to put in the work for the craft that you're into. You know, it's, it's crazy that you got women who get on Instagram and show their body to try to get a million followers. Yeah, it's like, what do you do? Yeah, you know, what well, I'm saying? Are you, you get past are you, that? Are you, yeah, are you prostituting on Instagram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you selling? Like, what's, what are we doing? <laughs> it's crazy what you think of that, you know. Even you mentioned radio, you know, and obviously the explosiveness of podcasting has become big. Anybody could, op- you know, literally put, turn on some mics and have a podcast. Now, I've been around a long time in the podcast sense. You one of the pioneers, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've seen some people come and go. But the point I'm making is radio. Oh, I think the thing is people don't understand how it it is still so powerful. Like I'm not one of those dudes where where sometimes people say like radio like I know what you're saying. I hear it all the time. Yeah, but but, but radio's but still alive. But like, you hear that we know. But check this out. This, these are the people that you hear that from. You hear that from industry people who don't really understand radio. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're an artist, if you ask any accomplished, any successful artist, what's the difference in having a lot of streams? and having a big record on the radio. The publishing is totally different. There's a lot of money in publishing when you get your record on the radio versus just streaming your record. Mm. A lot of people don't understand that. But if you go ask, ask some of the big R&B artists, go ask Beyonce, go ask Chris Brown, go ask a, a, a Jacquees, go ask a, a young thug what's the difference in his money now when he was just streaming big versus streaming and being on the radio and having a number, a top 10 record. Ask YFM Lucci. Ask Metro Boomin. Ask Zaytoven. Ask Cassius J. You know what I'm saying? Ask some of these people, like, most, a lot of us who look at the industry, we don't really understand the business. Like, I was, like, CBS Intercom has been at me for years about doing a podcast. I'm finally going to do it. My, my, my podcast is going to be called Business is a Talent. I like that. Because most people don't get it. Sure. And we repeat so much stuff that we've heard, we haven't done any research to have any proof of what we're talking about. We just repeat what everybody else says. And we don't know, like you say, oh, yeah, radio, radio's about to be over with. Radio, commercial radio's dead. People don't listen to the radio no more. Trust me. If you just want to hear music all day, and you don't want to hear commercials, you don't even want to hear talking, you just want to hear music all day, where are you going to get your information from? Mm-hmm. Like, radio is way bigger than music. I try to explain to people all the time, like, radio and records is two totally different businesses. The radio business and the record business is two totally different businesses. And a lot of people don't get that. Like, a lot of the younger DJs, they think being on the radio is just all about breaking new records. That's the least. When you look at all the biggest, the biggest DJs in the country, and make millions of dollars. They don't make money because of new music. Mm. It has nothing to do with it. They make money because they make people have a good time. When you look at these EDM DJs, these pop DJs, the DJs Vegas, Europe, Japan, New York, LA, Miami, they, they, they do these big clubs, they're getting 10000 25000 50000 100000 $200,000 to come DJ for two hours. It's not because they're in the DJ booth playing new music. They play music that make people want to party. Sure. That's what it's all about. The people. Man, listen, you know, you've been in radio 
The real people. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but check this out. This is something, and you know, shouts to someone like even Ed Lover. Shouts to people like Angie Martinez. Shouts to people uh, like DJ Enough. Shouts. I mean, we can keep on going. Shouts to Big Boy. Shouts to uh, um, Charlemagne. Charlemagne, right? Um, we, but listen, we can keep on going on. It is not easy. One to have a morning show that lasts long, and two to be on radio for as long as you've been on. Even V103, think about how long, V103 is Atlanta. Is Atlanta this, is my, this is my 25th year of V103. Okay, but honestly, <laughs> how the fuck does that happen? How does, like, you gotta keep the numbers up. Men lie, women lie, numbers <laughs> don't. <laughs> you gotta get the numbers up. Well, I just told you, the real people, not the industry people, not the people who think they know everything, the real people. It's about the real people. I've had the I've had the, the the biggest rated radio show for the last twenty five plus years in all demos from teens eighteen thirty four eighteen forty nine twenty five fifty four like you know that's where I that that's where I make the difference between like a flex or Charlemagne or. Uh, Ed Lover or those type, uh, those type of people, like, and I'm not saying that they, they're not good at what they do, but they don't really understand how to play the numbers game. I know how to play the numbers game, mm-hmm. and it's not. It, 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 well, it's not really a game. It's about being the best that you can be. Like, you can't be number one in every demo if you're not working. You gotta work. You just can't go to the radio. You just can't be Great Street on the radio. You just can't be Funk Flex on the radio. You got to be. What you're supposed to be to the people. You mean like touch the people? You mean like, you know. You got to figure that out. Greg ain't trying to give that's, all these. millions of dollars worth of game. Yeah, <laughs> I actually tried to give it to a couple people in New York, but they didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. When, you remember when Fat Man School left Tommy Boy? Yep. And he went to Hot? Yep. And he was doing an overnight show and he had a Saturday show. Shouts to Fat Man School. He did, he did middays on Saturday, but he did overnights during the week. And I was explaining to them how to um, be take an overnight show and be the biggest DJ in New York with an overnight show. Mm-hmm. But I think most of the DJs in New York, they get caught up into being a celebrity DJ. Mm-hmm. And it's cool, but you know, if, 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 I'm going to show you a letter one day. Um, Mike Love tried to get me to come to New York one time. They gave me a contract and everything. And uh, I was already under contract, so I couldn't take the job. But Mike, what station was that? It was BLS. Okay. Was it was in like uh, it was probably like probably ninety three, mm-hmm. ninety three, ninety four. He wanted me to come to New York. Like, like, you bring this guy to New York. Trust me, he's gonna change the game. And you used to already in contract. I was under contract. I mean, they want they really wanted to do it. Like, I still got the letters and the contracts and everything. So, but. A lot of people get it, a lot of people don't. Um, and it's unfortunate because you gotta think, if you're in New York and you're in the Mecca where everything is going on, you can have so much going on, you just got to have the people. You got to have the people. What about program directors? How many did you go through in 25 years? Not many. Fortunate enough for me, I haven't worked for a lot of program directors because I work, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy who don't say no. You know me. Yeah. Like you want you need if, if Premium P asks me to do something, 
he, he, he probably really wants me to do it if he asks me to do it. If my boss asks me to do something, he got a lot of stuff going on in his plate. If he asks me to do it, and I got the, and I can do it, I can move, if, even if I got to move stuff around to do it, I'm going to do it. Get it done. I mean, it's like you got a job that pays you a decent salary, and all you do, you're on the radio for four hours a day. Yeah. Like, if somebody asks you, you got an ego, you don't have time for this, you don't have time for that, you never have time for people. You got you to gotta make time for people. You got to make time because the people is what's going to be inspirational in your growth. That's a very important ingredient in your growth and, and, and being, um, it, being able to make a difference. How important is, you know, I know a lot of radio stations, they'll have like um, McDonald's or, or a car wash. They'll be down at a car wash, like uh, live from a car wash or... Really like connecting with the people I go coming like I know you've done like uh, school giveaways like backpacks or over the years. There's a lot of things that you've done with different. I don't know the exact companies, but you know I know that they do that. Especially that's what they do with radio. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. So just how important is that to bring the people out to like meet somebody that they may listen to at work or see, go to work? See, the, see the the reason why I've never got caught up into the celebrity thing because I look at myself as the common denominator. It's like the celebrities want to be a part of what you're doing because the people mess with you. If you got hundreds of thousands of millions of people that listen to you and not just listen to you, they really mess with you because you mess with them. It's not just a fake relationship. It's a real relationship. So the people mess with you. So the artists and the companies, they want to mess with you because the people mess with you. So it's a, it's, you're, you're like in the middle. You're not the celebrity. Like I don't, I don't call myself a celebrity. I walk around with security guards and none of that, you know, it's, it's regular. We'll see where else I see. You know, you're from a, you know, Mississippi is where you were born, right? Right. But you've been in Atlanta how many years now? 25 years. 25 years. This year, 25. Atlanta is one of those cities that people have no problem uh, giving you a mixtape, spitting you for you live and direct. Um has anyone ever, like, rhymed for you? Because they, keep in mind, they know you're on the radio. And they're like, yo, Greg Street, they think they look at you as an opportunity. Like, yo, I, I can get my song on the radio. I could, who knows what they could think of. And in this day and age, too, it's more common than ever. Like, somebody may tweet you and be like, yo, I'm homeless, but. I, I got a cell phone people actually call and text. Like, really? I get it all the time. Hey, I, can I email you my song? Can you play it tonight? Yeah? Yeah, all, all of it. You ever like put? You ever met somebody that was trying to come up or had a song, and then you know, in the in, you know, in the streets or, or, or wherever you met them, and then put them on, and the song that you know people a lot of people, a lot of people. I mean, Young Ralph, Pastor Troy, mm-hmm. um, Yin Yang Twins, mm-hmm. Mr. Collin Park, um, Lil Duval. Mm-hmm. Lil Duval's record was big on social media. Oh, yeah. And I called him up. I was like, Duval, we need to put this record on the radio. He didn't even have a clean version. So the guy, Mr. Hanky, that produced it, is a friend of mine. So I got on the phone with Hanky, explained to him how to make the radio version, and um, made the radio version. We put it on the radio. It went crazy. Let's take people back, too, for that don't know. You, you know, Rick Ross. And I, I love I love this story about <laughs> Rick Ross because here's the thing. I think, and... and, and there's a lot of people, like, I feel like you're one of those underrated guys that many people don't know how much involvement you have. I, I was talking about you on a, one of my episodes, I don't remember when, I was talking about how you're one of those guys that pull up 
So like a uh, 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 20th anniversary of an album release with the exact fucking album closed, sealed with a t-shirt or a keychain or whatever they gave at that time. Like that's what type of dude you are. You like uh, nostalgic, you know, uh, a lot of memories, a lot of classic stuff. For people who don't know, Rick Ross, I remember, there's a bunch of different stories about Rick Ross and Star and stuff like that, but break down the, you know, where you met Rick Ross first. Okay, there's a guy named Tomcat. Tomcat still works for Ross. Tomcat is from Atlanta, and uh, Tomcat and Block was real tight. Me and Tom met through Block, and um, I actually met Block when I first came to Atlanta. And the big joke was, with me and Block, the big inside, like we brothers, but the big joke was, he looked like Tony Draper. Mm. When I first met him, I'm like, bro, you look like Tony Draper. So when they when I finally Block and Draper finally met, um, Draper gave gave Block a job, like me and an A and R for for Swab House. So um, when we met Ross, I was like, this dude is incredible. Like this dude is. When I got my deal at Atlantic. I like gave Ross a check. Like he tell people, Grace, you the first person to ever pay me to rap. Mm. How much <laughs> you gave him a check for? To rap, to record a song. Okay. Took him to Patchworks, put him in the studio. We, I still got the, the two-inch reel masters to the record. It's called Willie Bananas. But, um, and, and, um, all while this was going on, um, Ball and G came to the gate. That's when Block and Draper finally got a chance to meet in person. And Block became like an A&R for Draper. And, um, we took Rick Ross over there. And if you remember, like, Draper was very instrumental in the cash money deal at Universal with Dino Duvalier and um, Gene Riggins. So, because if you remember at the time, Universal Records was going to be sold. It was the German company was buying, somebody was buying, who had a lot of money. But none of the artists on Universal were really on Universal. Because I got Boys and Men was signed to Michael Bivens and then um, Master P wasn't on Universal, but Master P was like, the blueprint to everything that was going on in the industry, everybody was on Master P's job. So, Cad, when they did the cash money deal, um, it was kind of like their version of No Limit. So, Swap House, Draper put out the Triple A Ball MJG album, the Triple A Ball album. It did well. The MJG album didn't do as well. They had that girl on it. But some kind of way, I can't remember the, the details, but some kind of way, the Swap House deal got messed up. So, one night, you know, me and Ted Lucas slip and slide. We real tight. You know, Ross is from Miami, but he didn't even know Ted Lucas. So one night, I'm just thinking because I really like Ross. Like I know he's he's that guy. So I called Ted Lucas and, and explained to him what happened and what was going on. I'm like, I think you should bring Ross over to slip and slide. So I think I could get Draper to release him and we could do the deal. You know, I wasn't involved in the business on, on any level as far as the money and stuff is concerned. I just like Ross. But did, did he know how hard you were going for him? Yeah. So I talked to talked to Draper. I talked to Ted. So Ted basically uh, reimbursed Draper his money that he had paid Ross, gave him some money to get him out the deal, bought him over slip and slide. And, was, and he wasn't mad at that? He just was okay no, with No, he, he was cool with it. No, Draper's a businessman. He's like, yeah. you know, my stuff ain't really moving like it should be moving right now. I want to hold you up. So when he went over to uh, Slip and Slide, of course, like Trick Daddy was the man, and whatever was going on between the hoods in Miami was going on, 
and uh, Ross was she was writing and doing a lot of stuff. But then when he made the Everyday I'm Hustling record and it blew up, um, and I mean we saw what it did. Mm. If Ross ever tell you like yo thank you for oh yeah that's my that's my that's my guy yeah I, I talk to him all the time we we cuss each other out we fuss and fight but that's 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 the homie I mean it's, it's crazy too because the talent always oh, rises to the top man yeah his lyrics uh you know people can say what they want about Ross people always have something to say about somebody everybody got something to say that don't know what they talking about that dude is one talented motherfucker oh, yeah. he put lyrics together. He could put, you know, I was listening to, uh, the other night, I was listening to uh, Live Fast, Die Young, him and Kanye. Man, those extra bars he gave you at the end of that song. He's dope. He said, uh, you know, man, Live Fast, Die Young is a special fucking song. But see, we had, we had, um, when the whole thing with Swap House, like I told you, when the whole thing with Swap House was going on, Draper actually, Draper was a good friend of mine, so Draper actually moved the Swap House studios to my house. T-Mix, the in-house Swap House producer, was living at my house. So, like, everybody that Drake was working with, they used to come to my house and record. From A-Ball, MJG, did some stuff with LL Cool J. Um, and Ross used to come. Ross actually learned how to really ad-lib and rap and do all the little tricks that real rappers know how to do when they just not saying I'm a rapper, but they ain't really made no record to put sure, a record sure, out. Sure. They really learned the craft. So he learned a lot of stuff, you know, at the studio, at the, at the crib, working with T-Mix and and Larry Funk, who's the, um, the engineer who mixed a lot of records, who lived on the, I think Larry lived in the Bay. He would fly to Atlanta and um, mix records and engineer sessions with T-Mix and when the artists would come. You know, it's crazy how many people, how many how many artists in hip-hop live in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, you know, years ago, I would never, you know, know that. Like, you know, when growing up, I wouldn't think of how many people would be here. You know, even a lot of New York cats. Oh, yeah. Right? I know Eric Sherman's out here. Eric's, Eric don't live out here anymore. But no, you don't? He was out here for a while. He was, out here for, he was here before me. Yeah, the rim spot. Yeah, him and Greg. Yeah. Him and Greg Taylor had the rim shop on Peachtree and, um, what's that, Peachtree and Ralph McGill. Raekwon. Yeah, Raekwon's out here. Yeah. His mom. I, I went to his cell. He did a, he got the, the, um, the, 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 the alcohol was Lincata. And I did the. I went to the party, the tasting for the party with him, with him and his mom, his sisters, and everybody was there. Um, Rayquan's definitely class act. You know, twenty five years on the radio in Atlanta, and Atlanta, I feel like is one of those places where it's been thriving. You know, uh, a lot more amazing restaurants. Uh, you know, the, a lot more jobs being you know uh, you know built out here. A lot more companies coming out here. Like like honestly, it's been thriving. You know what I mean, like Atlanta. You gotta do your you gotta do your research on Atlanta, like you know we you know and not 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 discounting what Dr. King and the whole freedom, the whole uh, civil rights movement did, but Atlanta was actually like I, I was looking at a book the other day. A guy, one of my friends had the book, and I get a chance to really look at it a lot. But then another guy brought one to the Auburn Street Fest the other day. There's a book. I'll tell you the name of it, but there's a book you can get. And it had like the real history of Atlanta. Like Atlanta was popping, 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 popping for black people in the 1800s. Really? I mean like popping. Like I read this story in the book about this one guy who was a professional boxer who built a big house on the west side. He had maids and butlers and 
cars, and this was like in the early 1900s. So Atlanta was popping for a long, long, long time. And like when you look up uh, Herndon and all these guys from the early 1900s, like Atlanta been been that spot for a long time. So you just people look at the music, but when you look at Jermaine Dupri and Dallas Austin and Rico Wade and all these people in Atlanta that's making all this money off music, Atlanta is not what it is because of music. Music is really benefiting off of the backbones of what Atlanta was way, way back in the day. Like these kids are, these guys in the music is, are like the great, 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 great grandkids. And they, these kids come from royalty. Like yeah. Atlanta was, Atlanta was that spot. I'm going to see if I can find this picture. I took a picture of the book. You know, you also think about like Magic City. How many, you know, how many landmarks out in Atlanta? Look at this. Cascade. Look at this. Look at this. Wow. 1926. Fine. Basketball game. Tav Hall. Send that, to me. Send that to me. Look at this. Hold on. Check this out. Like, dance at 10 p.m. Game at 8. Dance at 10. Admission 35 cents. 35 cents. Couples 30 cents. Okay. Good music. Break somebody seven nickel. Like is that Kanye back in the day? Good music. This is from 1926, bro. <laughs> March 6th, Saturday, March 6th, 1926. Like this is crazy. Like look at this. That's Peachtree Street. Wow. The intersection of Peachtree Street and Marietta Street in the early 1900s. All those are black people, bro. This is crazy. Like this is. I sent this to Lucci. That's Summer Hill Grammar School from like 1920. Like Atlanta was a spot for a long time. Mm. Like these are when you look when you go do just do your homework at like the, the University Center and how Clark and Spellman and all this stuff came about. Like this it's some it's some crazy history that go all the way back to the the um the Mary Bethune days. Like in the Mary Bethune started the, the uh, Bethune Cookman College. It's a lot of history in Atlanta, man. A lot of history. A lot of history. A lot of history in your journey. You know what? Let's take a quick break. We're sitting down here with my brother, the one and only, Mr. Six O'Clock, Mr. V103, Greg Street. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. Cheers. Hey, this is Ice-T. Right now, you're locked into the Premium Pete Show, number one show on earth. All right? Stop playing. Internet's another episode of the Premium Pete Show with my guy, Greg Street. Um... Frankie's home. Greg Street is uh, a man of many talents. True Renaissance man. I call myself a Renaissance man, but you're a Renaissance man. You know, in 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 the radio music business over 25 years. So I, I told them before, somebody who has uh, really done a lot of work behind the scenes that I feel like a lot of people don't know. You know, we were speaking before about Rick Ross. Um, what's something, you know, you've been on the radio obviously 25 years, 25 plus years. What's some of your favorite moments that you remember? Like, meaning, like, whether that be breaking a record for somebody or seeing somebody succeed, or you've had a lot of moments up in that building. Um, I mean, just enjoying what you do, like, you know, everything from music to just people to, I mean, like, the people that I could tell you that's been through that building is like crazy. Like everybody from 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 Puff to Biggie to I can remember the day when Big Pine came 
um, Lauren Hill. Who, like, did, who did Big Pun come with? He came by himself and he was promoting his album. Uh, but I can remember when check when Lauren Hill came. I, I I knew Lauren Hill from when I was in Dallas from the Fugees from when they first came out before they even mm-hmm. blew up. So when she came when she came to Atlanta when she put her solo project out, she was pregnant. And she, she wanted to come to my show so bad. I think my show may have been the only show she did. She came to my show. She was pregnant. Her and her dad came up. It was like, it was crazy. But like Erica Badu, and of course, I, I did all the outcast in stores and the different release parties and, um, just some, some of the biggest of the biggest, like one of the biggest in stores in Atlanta for music. And I think this was like, this was a crazy moment too, was Crisscrosses in store for their second or third album. It was at North Lake Mall at the record store with so many people at the in store. They had to shut the mall down. Mm, mm. Not the store. They had to close the mall, put everybody out the mall and reopen. Crisscross, man. When's the first time you met Jermaine Dupri? I actually met Jermaine Dupri. Uh, the late great Ronnie Johnson, he introduced me to Jermaine Dupree when I was at Magic 102 in Houston in like 1990. I remember when Jermaine came to the radio station. Jermaine Dupree had a label deal with the same label that Ice T was on side with Ice T yeah, and yeah, Madonna. Yeah. He had a group of girls, they were like TLC before TLC called Silk's Time Leather. And, um, they was like, before they, I guess they were before their time because they were the, the, the same blueprint as TLC. And um, I met Jermaine. I remember he came to the radio station. He had a Dat Walkman. Like, everybody else had the cassette Walkmans. His Walkman was a Dat player. Mm. It was crazy. Like, and it was, I was so intrigued by it. Um, Shortly after that, I bought a, a portable Dat machine, and I started using mine to record drops from listeners, like when I go to schools or go to different events. And people want, I want to do drops with people who never maybe got a chance to come to the radio. I would use my portable DAT player to record them and bring, bring it back to the station and dump it into, onto the real, real. And was it good? Was it good audio? Yeah, great audio. I mean, cause now it's, 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 it's amazing what you're I able mean, to do. I mean, that, that, that machines was the CDs and that was like the digital audio. Yeah. Before the computer digital audio. Yeah. So, so how was the Outcast uh, in stores? How was those? That was crazy. Like I actually met Outcast before I ever came to Atlanta. When I was in Dallas, when they first came out, it was like like me, Pimp C, and Bumby was always real cool. And Pimp C was one of the people who was really like, man, Outcast gonna be big. Like this was not, they only just had players ball out. Yep, yeah, yeah. He had never met him. He was just like a fan of the music. And um, I used to talk to Rico on the phone before I ever moved because I never ever visit. I never ever came to Atlanta until I moved here to work at V One Three. I had never been to Atlanta, mm. so um, it's like a, the, the big legendary thing is the first one, of the first big concerts that Outkast ever did. I brought them to Dallas and we did a show at the Bomb Factory. Mm. Like that show is so legendary. It's part of the whole. Why is it? Why is it legendary? Like because it was Outkast. Like. Mm. The first time people actually really got a chance to see them, and they became so big, like everybody remember it. Like even from the first album, when the first album dropped, it was like an instant classic. Mm. When Southern Playlistic dropped, it was like a classic album. So everybody remembers like when Greg Street had Outcast at the Bomb Factory, and um, then once I moved to Atlanta, we um. Now why'd you move to Atlanta? 
for radio. Okay. But they offered you a contract? Or? Yeah. Actually, actually, what happened was, was um, my boss, Tony Brown, at the time, when I was in high school, he had graduated from college, and he had relatives in, in Hattiesburg, so he was working at the radio station in Hattiesburg. But he had, like, big dreams of being a, a big program director. So he had got a job. He actually left Hattiesburg and went, to think, to the Carolinas or somewhere. But then he ended up getting a job at at, B, at 93 BLX in Mobile. Mm. And um, first he took Skip Cheatham, and then he took me. Skip was doing the afternoons, and I did 6 to 10. And that's when we, like, kind of converted the station, like, from – to be like one of the legendary urban radio stations. It was already a big urban radio station, but it was like the change when the hip hop music came along mm. and became big. So, um, cause the guy who was on before me, Sonny Love, he came on from like seven to midnight. So when Tony came in and switched the shifts up, he switched them to the four hour shift format where you had six to 10, 10 to two, two to six, six to 10, 10 to two for the quiet storm. And, um, Tony, Left that was in like eighty seven, eighty eight. When I went, when I got there, and uh, Tony left and went to Houston, and he brought me to Houston. But when Tony got to Houston, he always wanted to come to Atlanta. Right when he got to Houston, like six months after he got there, he got offered a job to come to Atlanta. So he left, and I was still there. And then I left Houston later, and I went to Dallas. And when I got to Dallas, actually, Tony wanted me to come to Atlanta with him, and that's how. It was like it was a it was a it was a uh, uh, Mike Roberts was actually the morning man and the program director, and they brought Tony in to be like in the pro to have like two program directors. So Tony was a program director, and Mike was a program director. So Ryan Cameron had kind of like interned and worked part time if you want three. So Mike Roberts wanted Ryan Cameron, Tony Brown wanted me. So it was like so they went with Ryan Cameron. So I left Houston and went to Dallas after that, and then when um when hot. Hot 97.5 came and V13 was getting ready to be in a, in a battle for hip hop. Then Tony was like, Hey, y'all, we need to bring Greg out here. So then I came out here in, uh, in 95. You know, a lot of radio stations, like some, some have been here for a long time and some have come and gone. You know what I mean? Uh, what do you think it takes, uh, for a radio station to last 25 plus years? I mean, V103, how long is it? Because you're there 25 years, but. V103 is probably about 40 some years old. Yeah, but how does that happen? I mean, you got. V103 is like, as far as the marketing is concerned and the way people feel about the radio station around the country, it doesn't get the recognition of a Hot 97 or like how KML used to be in the Bay and Power 106 in LA, but V13 is actually bigger than those stations. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to money and ratings and revenue, it's a much bigger radio station. Mm. Um, and because, like I said earlier, radio, the business of radio and the business of records and the record companies is two totally different businesses. So you got people running these companies who are making money for the companies. They don't really care about how people feel outside of the market about the radio stations because it really doesn't matter. Sure. I mean, branding, as far as branding and stuff is concerned, it kind of matters. But the overall scammer thing, V13s has been one of, if not the top billing urban radio station in the country for many, many, many years. And you only had like uh, Scotty Andrews, um, Ray Boyd, Mike Roberts, Scotty Andrews, Ray Program director. Program director. 
<laughs> Check this is crazy. Scotty Andrews, Ray Boyd, Mike Roberts, Tony Brown, and Reggie Rouse. Mm. So in almost fifty years, this radio station only had five programs. Wow, now. that's the average of almost ten a year. And like as far as my shift is concerned, as far back as I can remember, you only had like Kenny Diamond, Ryan Cameron. And myself. And then you had um, Tosway did it for a little bit because from 2002 to 2005, I actually did Dallas and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I, I moved back to Dallas and I was doing Dallas Monday through Friday and only did Atlanta on Saturday. And they were okay with that? They didn't, they, you know, they didn't... It was... <laughs> they was okay with it. Because now, when you think about it, like even you see somebody like Ebro, he's doing Hot 97 and Beach One. And I remember talking to him about that and he was like, oh, they understand it's a different type of style. Well, but there, like, it's, it's, we live in a world where, like, a radio station can be like, nah, fuck that. Like, you, you with us, like, going, why are you doing that? Like, there's a lot of more creative freedom, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You see that Ebro's on Beach One and uh, Hot 97. Are you, you got, familiar with that? Yeah, but you got to think Tom Jordan started it. And the station that I worked at in Dallas, that's, that was the station who did the, who allowed it to happen. When Tom did, like, when Tom did the fly jock deal, really what he was trying to do, that was during the time when athletes would sign one team and then sign with another team. There'd be a bid war of who's going to buy the contract out. Mm. But when Tom did it, he, he signed to do mornings in Dallas and afternoons in Chicago. And the radio says, like, well, it's two separate shifts. You signed the contracts. You got to figure out how you're going to pull it off. Mm. So he, having that time difference in between uh, 10 a.m., and 2 or 3 p.m., he pulled it off. We flew back and forth until, like, the ISDN lines and stuff came along. You could do it online. But many days, every day, he flew back and forth from Dallas to Chicago because the, them two stations allowed him, them two companies allowed him to be able to do it. You know, when when you were growing up, I mean, most people, you know, they they have dreams of what they want to be. You know, some people have no idea what they want to be. Me, I had no fucking idea. I just love graffiti, sneakers, and smoking weed at that time. And uh, I never smoked weed. I like sneakers. My thing was this, like... But what, what was your first job? My first job was in Hattiesburg at WRVWJMG. Oh, really? Your first job was in radio? You didn't have, like, a fucking oh, grocery yeah, yeah. store? Now, I, cut, boy? I, I cut grass. I worked at the drugstore. And then I, then I got started DJing. At, at a young age, well, it actually started. I, t- I as a kid, I took guitar lessons, and um, is, is there a reason why like you wanted to? Or, like, I wanted family, to. so yeah. And I took guitar lessons at Mississippi Music, and um, as I got to be a teenager, my all of my sisters and brothers are a lot older than me, mm-hmm. and they all like music. So I used to take me to concerts, to take me to dances and stuff. So I fell in love with it, and then I started DJing and making mixtapes. And because Hattiesburg is so small, I had this idea with me and my, one of my friends used to help me do the parties because I used to rent like the community centers and do parties after the football games mm-hmm. and on Fridays for the kids, for the teens. So we came up with this idea, like everybody was making the flyers and the posters. So I wanted to put my parties, I wanted to advertise on the radio. So we started going to the radio station. So the guy who ran the radio station, it's like, you know, Asked me one day, you know, it was like your name buzz and you can kind of pop. Are you interested in being in radio? So it was like shortly after DJing parties and stuff, I got into radio, working in the radio station after school because in, in the city that's small, 
they don't have the budgets to pay mm-hmm. DJs because it was a, at that time it was only a daytime radio station. So in the springtime, in the summertime, the radio station is on to like six or seven, eight o'clock in the evening. So I would come work at the radio station after school on the weekends, and then shortly after I got there, um. Then they had a F, uh, then the guy who owned the station built the FM station. Then kind of find out the guy who owned the radio station actually went to school with my mother mm. at Mobile County Training School. So going to Mobile all uh, my life as a kid, the Mardi Gras to my aunt's and uncle's house was like 93 BLX, like a huge radio station. So I actually got a chance to work there. <laughs> it was crazy, Pete. Like, so when I got the BLX, then I started, uh, Jeff Hedgeman, who was worked at the radio station also. He was like the midday jock and then he worked in sales as like the sales manager. And this was before the internet. So businesses used to send tapes on the bus. Mm. So we used to go to the bus station and pick the tapes up. So I would get in the car with him and ride to pick up the bus, the tape sometime. And I got in the car with him one day and the radio came on and I was like, who is this dude? And I was thinking it was like, a, a new guy that they had hired at the AM mm-hmm. station, WGOK. And it was like, he's like, that's Tom Joyner. My brother lives in Dallas. He records Tom Joyner shows and he sends them to me. I'm like, that's Tom Joyner? I was like, wow. So fast forward, after I go to Houston, a couple years after that, I go to Dallas. I go to Tom Joyner's show and he introduces me to Dallas because he was still working at K104 doing the morning show when I got there. It was right before he had did his, his deal to, to be the fly job. So it was like crazy. Like, so all these people you reading about and learning and thinking about. Then like when I got to Houston, um, you know, being from a small town, small city, a lot of artists didn't really come. So like Mel Smith mm-hmm. worked for Jive. He was like the mix show rep. So me being in Mobile, he was just a mix show rep. Just like with mix shows and street teams and all that stuff was just getting started. So he never came to the market where we should just talk on the phone. So like we became real tight. So when I moved to Houston, Too Short had a show on the north side, the Aragon Ballroom, and Mel came out and we got to meet. And um we kicked it. And that's when um when Lil J wanted to really turn rap a lot into a big label. Me and Lil J was real tight way back then in like 90. So he would be like, street man, I need to find me a good radio guy. So I introduced him to Mel. Okay. And Mel was like, you know, he was working at um, Jive. He's like, man, I ain't gonna quit Jive Records to come work for rap a lot. So Lil J was like, you know, how much money you make over there? Like, what about if I double your salary? <laughs> like, Mel didn't even, the crazy part about it, Mel didn't even like the ghetto boys. He liked it OG style. He liked it original yeah, evil yeah, OG yeah. style. Because he thought he Mel thought he was like the the down south version of LL Cool J in mm-hmm. his mind. But long story short, like just all those relationships just galvanized. Mel was real tight with Dave Mays. That's when the source first started, when it was just a little tent, a little pamphlet, mm-hmm. the little fold up pamphlet. So we all got to know each other like all from the ground. Then Puffy came on the scene and then Mel went to work for Puffy. Then I met Puffy in New Orleans in like 1991 when he first got his job working for, um, Uptown as an A&R. Yeah. As, as A&R. So like, it's, and, it's, a, it's, it? so, it's so many stories. How uh, you got too many stories? That's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. People always listen, and I always tell them: if you know Greg Street, you're gonna learn a little bit more. If you don't know of him, you're gonna learn of him. You know, when you think about even Puffy, did you see that hustle that he had back in the day? Listen, it was it was it was called a Young Guns panel. I was leaving Houston, going to Dallas, and and Puffy 
he had just got the job, so he hadn't put no records out. No, I was I was getting ready to go to Houston. How did it work? I may have been already in Houston. But anyway, Puffy Puffy stood up on the panel and said, Hey, I just got this job. I mean, this is my room number. I gotta find some artists. It was the Young Guns panel at the BRE convention. It was Puffy, Michael Biffins, and Keith Sweat. They was on the panel. They was the Young Guns panel. And he was like, he was, he was, he was hungry for it. Like he he really, really wanted it. You know, is is there is there somebody that you saw as you know, obviously being in radio for so long, somebody that you saw that you knew was going to be a star and it happened. Is you is there somebody that you like said like ah oh, that that dude is going to be special? Like obviously we were talking before about Ross, you know, and and, and I mean like Biggie when Biggie came to K one hundred four. When Biggie came to K one hundred four and him and Craig Mack was on tour together, yeah, yeah, like Craig Mack, Big was, Mac Craig Mack was big. He was bigger than Biggie in the beginning. Yep. But it was like, Biggie did a freestyle for me for my show. I still got it. He did a freestyle. Would you ask him or he just did it? I asked him and we, we went in the production room and did it. And um, I could just tell, like, he he's going to be big. Like, when like, like when I first went to Houston working around Scarface, I knew he was going to be big. And um, I helped Luke get involved with the H-Town because H-Town was called the Gents. I actually named them H-Town. Mm. And Luke talks about that all the time. Um, um, I was coming out of D.C. one time. They was trying to hire me at a radio station in D.C. It was a Q92. And Luke was in court about the whole Luke Skywalker stuff. And uh, I was I knew Luke because his Luke had a club in Pensacola mm-hmm. called Club Miami's. His brother. Down in Florida. His brother ran the club. Yeah, but you know, Mobile and Pensacola, like right next to each other. Yeah. So like the radio station, BLX, is Mobile, it's a Mobile, Pensacola station. And um, I saw Luke at the airport. He was telling me about the court case, how stuff was going. He might have to change his name. I'm like, you should call yourself Uncle Luke. <laughs> you should be Uncle Luke. And that's where I, that's where it started. But like, so, so, so did Greg Street give uh, Luke the idea to call himself Uncle Luke? He talks. He talks about. It. He's talked yeah. about it on interviews. Yeah. People have heard him say it. Yeah. Shout out to Luke, man. You know, I know he was. Uh, his story is crazy. You know, Luke changed the game. Oh yeah. Why you say that for though? Huh? Why you say that for? Because a lot of people don't understand why Miami and Atlanta is so tight. Mm. because back in the day, even though you had Clay D and you had producers in Miami, most of the biggest producers that was producing all those records in Miami was from Atlanta. Cool Kylie, uh, Mike Fresh, DJ Toon, they was from here. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and a lot of people didn't know that because you got, you know, like you said, there's no internet. Nobody know If you don't sure, know, sure, sure. like, if you don't know, you just don't know. So if you hear all the music coming out of Miami, you think everything's coming out of Miami. You don't know where the producers are from. You don't know all this stuff. But Luke changed the game. You got to think he put an album out with no barcode. They still don't know to this day how many albums he sold. <laughs> he, did, he, he did that on purpose? I mean, he was just getting in the game. He didn't yeah, know he was yeah, learning. Yeah, So they couldn't count how many they he couldn't sold. couldn't count. Yeah. <laughs> I know he was. I think he goes down as probably the first for the parental advisory. I think. I think it is uh, Luke is the first that had the parental advisory. Uh, no you know, explicit it, lyrics. It right? was probably. It was probably Dougie Fresh. Yeah, Dougie Fresh was one of them with that Lottie Dottie song. Yeah, like Lottie Dottie, 
We like to party. Yep. We don't but, cause but, but trouble. Luke, people don't look at it like that because Luke Luke got the tension for it because his records were so nasty and vulgar. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's a difference if you cursing, but if you vulgar and cursing, you know what I'm saying? The stuff that you're saying, the different things you're saying about women and, hey, we want some head, booty, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Ass up, <laughs> face stuff, down, the, ass up, yeah. The stuff he was saying was like, it, it was just out there. I remember that was wild. You know, you think about all these years, your ears from music, you know, and uh, now how different. You know, you evolved. You know what I'm saying? You evolved as a as a DJ, as a as a radio guy, as a person. But keep in mind, music evolved. You talk about Puffy, you talk about Biggie, you talk about Craig Mack, you talk about Outkast, you know, but then you think about now, like... Soldier Boy. So, yeah, but I'm <laughs> saying, did you see that coming, like, the Futures? Like, think about oh, how yeah. big Future... Like, Future's a star. Go like, back, go back. Like, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Rocco brought Future to me. I did the first interview. He's like... Wait, wait, back that up. So Rocco calls you. What does he say? Rock, Rocco called me. Say, "Street, I'm working with this new artist, Future. I'll bring him up and introduce you to him and let you listen to this song we we made." Like different stories like that. Like I'm gonna give you one that's really crazy. Shawty Low called me one day on a Saturday. He said, "Street, I just made this record. I want you to hear it. I only got one verse on it." And that was really like the the what stemmed the whole beef between him and Ti. Yeah. He had the day no record. He came up to V103 on a Saturday. I was like, bro, this it, this shit is crazy. <laughs> I played it with the one verse on it that yeah. same day. And he wanted me to help him get T.I. on the record. And T.I. was so big at the time. It's like, you know, Charlotte's a new, you know, he got the D4L stuff popping. But what T.I. was doing was like totally different from what they was doing. Sure. And in T.I.'s mind, you know, he probably didn't want to be, go back and be a part of that. Because of the perception. Yeah. You know, T.I. thinks big. And he's not one of those type of people who likes to consider himself doing stuff backwards, even though it may not have been backwards. You know, people look at different, look at things different. Sure, but sure. Um, he wanted T.I. to be on the second verse of that song. <laughs> that would have been something. It would have been crazy. You know, now back to future. You said he comes up. Rock- Scarface okay. wanted Biggie on the remix to Big Papa. Really? Yep. And they didn't do it because of what they wanted for the verse. It never happened. Damn. You got to think when Biggie came out, Scarface was the biggest rapper in the yeah, world. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. You think about <laughs> the fucking history in the, in that? That's, that's crazy, man. Now, now, what about like? When T.I. started to really like pop, you know, he would come around me at the club a lot. Like, and I, I was listening to his music and I was watching how they was trying to do it. Cause you got to think he was on, he was on LaFace, Ghetto Vision LaFace. So he was on the same label with Outkast, TLC, Usher, and all these big artists. So the problem was to me from the outside looking in, they didn't really understand the Dope Boy records. Like, and Tip talks about this all the time. I was the one who said, look, I want to play Dope Boys in the Trap on the radio. Sure. Because the first record they tried to put out, got a beat from Pharrell, we got Beanie Man on it, it's going to be the record. Mm. But it's like, but you're, 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 you're miss, you're taking an artist on the, from the foundation in the wrong direction. Like you trying to make them this big pop rapper 
before he gets his foundation started. So I was the one who's like, look, we're going to play this dope boys in the trap record. This record is crazy. And he talks about that all the time. Like Greg Street was the only person who would play dope boys in the trap. Like he even had on a verse about um, if LA knew how wrong he would be. I took my song in the street. Now my name rang like a bomb in the street. Mm. I think it was on the King album. How, how hard is it to be honest with people? You know, you've been in the business for many, many, many years, but how hard is it? Like, you know, people may come to you like, hey, listen, man, Street, I want you to play my, my track. Or even like, you know, somebody big could come to you and be like, yo, I'm, there's an artist I'm working with and I want you to play his music or something like that. And, and, and to be honest with you, it could be garbage. I'll tell them. How, I'm saying, is that, is that, has that hurt any of your relationships by being honest? Because I'm feeling like it hurts you sometime in the beginning. But once they get out there and they see like, okay, Street said it wasn't really blah, blah, blah. He didn't really like, I don't really try to pass judgment on people's music. Because one thing you got to understand about music still is art. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So you never can say that this ain't going to make it or this going to make it or this not going to make it. So I try to be, I try not to be so judgmental. But at the same time, as far as I'm concerned, I have to have, I have to believe in it. Sure. I have to believe in it. I have to see it. I have to understand it. And if it's already moving, I don't have to understand it because it's already doing what it's supposed to do. But if, if, if you basically, like a lot of people think, well, if Greg Street, if Funkmaster Flex, if so-and-so, so-and-so play my record, I'm out of here. That's not it. It's you got to have your stuff together. You and your team got to have their stuff together. Explain what you mean by that. I mean, a DJ playing a record is a small part of breaking a record. Like I tell, I should tell DJ Nando rest in peace. Like people really got to get out of that whole that that whole line. I broke this record. I break. I broke this record. I broke that record. It's like it's so misleading because you got to think. Okay, if Premium Pete signed this artist and Premium Pete says, I think we got the record to go with. Street, I'm a senior this regular. Tell me what you think about it. And I said, man, this this record is dope. But Premium Pete and his team had an idea about what they had, the reason why he sent it to me to even listen to it. So I can't just take full credit for it. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's what's going on, and it's a big misconception, and it's got a lot of DJs' heads in the wrong place. And that's why a lot of people can't really get to where they need to get in the game because they really think it's all about them. And it's not. It's mm. about the people. Mm. Mm. It's about the art. It's about the art. Because if you could just break anybody's record, you would be doing it every day. It's not that, you know, like, there, there's a lot of moving parts in a QC. There's a lot of moving parts in a Def Jam. There's a lot of moving parts in, in these labels where they got stuff going on behind the scenes that the public don't see. But you think because a, a DJ plays a record, he broke the record. Mm. I don't want to lose the, uh, it's just powerful right there. It, it's a collective yeah. effort. It's yeah. a collective effort from a lot of different people. It's a team effort, man. It's a team effort. If you was doing it by yourself, <laughs> But how hard is it to get a good team around you? You know what I mean? Without trying to get everybody in your pocket. You know what I mean? Without trying to give up a lot of your intellectual uh, property. You know, 
It's like I always say, like even somebody like Drake, you, you think about it, like he's a star. You know, I've seen seen his I've seen his whole come up. I'm like, oh, this is fucking amazing. One of the best come ups. They should honestly do, in my opinion, they should do like a film about this dude's come up because yeah. it's amazing how big he got. Like I always give example when I was in 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 in, in uh, you know he used to come see me for sneakers back in the day by himself. I remember Tiana Taylor introduced him to me, and she's like, oh, you know this kid Drake. I'm like, nah, nah. She's like, oh, you know he's acting. He's he's pretty. He's got ill. He's good. Go, he could he could spit. And I'm like, uh, I, I never really heard of him. He came up. He bought Space Jams for me. We had, you know, I was running this store down in uh, uh, Spring Street. He bought Space Jams for me. Uh, he was with Oliver. I showed him a couple of other things. He wanted these Griffies that uh, that uh, he said uh, um, uh, Jeezy was wearing. These black all black Griffy Max ones. So I was like, yo, I'll they get, suck. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'll get them for you. Yo, he takes, takes my number. That big squish on the front of that shoe was oh, yeah, terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the I people do, was wearing them. But the fresh water joints, I do like the cold. The Griffey suck. Yeah, I got a couple of pairs. If you wear them with shorts, they're okay. I don't care what you're wearing, but they suck. But check this, check this. So, 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 and I've seen this with a lot of people, but he, he, you know, he hit me like the next day or two. He's like, yo, this is Drake. I met you through Tiana. You know, uh, I want to try to get this. And, you know, I was getting him on a bunch of different things. And, and, and the next time I, you know, we would stay in touch. The next time I see him, you know, he got a little bit bigger. He did the Hot 97, uh, uh, freestyle. And then the next time I seen him, he would come, he would come check me every time in New York. You know, he had a bodyguard. The next time I see him, I had to close the store down. You know what I mean? So the point <laughs> I'm making is like his, 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 his his climb and it, and it's come up. Let me tell you something. Yeah. tell you something about Drake. Let me tell you something about Drake. Drake is probably hands down the smartest rapper of this whole decade because of this whole uh, era. Drake. Drake built a team. He wasn't afraid to give up those percentages. Because he knew what he could become mm. if he gave it up. Mm. Like Jimmy Iovine, I, I can remember when he came, when, when, when everything happened. Polo had his deal with Jimmy Iovine. They took Drake to Jimmy. Drake couldn't do a deal with Jimmy because Jimmy wanted to do a 360 deal. He couldn't do a 360 deal because he'd already given up like 40%. Sure. He had like two or three managers. Sure. You know what I'm saying? You had J Print, you yeah, had Jazz. Hip hop. Yeah, no, you had first it was first it was Jazz and Tez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then hip hop them came into the play. So he then could you, Yeah, then cash money. Yeah, he, he couldn't do a but but check this out though. If Drake Wayne never signed Drake. Mm. If Drake wouldn't have did a deal with cash money, Wayne just liked Drake. Rick, Wayne is another talent person. He's like I know talent. I like talent. It wasn't about the money. It was like, this guy's hot. I just want to help him. And if I'm a part of it, I'm a part of it. If I'm not a part of it, if Drake wouldn't have did a deal with cash money, Wayne wouldn't have got, he wouldn't have been a part of it. But Drake was so loyal to Wayne. He did it. So he, he gave up all that because he knew I can, I can be big enough to get a million dollars a show. I could be big enough to get two million dollars a show. I could be big enough to get a half a million, a million, 1.5, two million. I could sell X amount of records. And that's why Jimmy came back and Jimmy was still cool with him because Jimmy created Vivo. Yeah, yeah. So Drake is probably one of the biggest artists in the whole Vivo situation. Yeah. Like Jimmy's another smart guy. You start a, you start a whole business 
inside of a business that already exists. Like you started a company and your whole company's foundation is based off YouTube. Yeah. And you're making millions of dollars. That is crazy. <laughs> and every artist have their own Vivo. Yeah. You know? It's like, yo, somebody... And they making a lot of money from their Vivo streams. That, that That's the whole point I was making about giving... You got, art, artists, the artists have a lot of, again, what you say? A lot of artists don't understand that. They don't want to give, it's like, I want to own my, I want to own all my own stuff. I want to, I don't want to pay nobody, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you got to pay somebody. Yeah. You're you going to have to pay somebody. It's like, cause if you make all the money yourself, who's going to run the company? Like, if you become a big artist, to say, hypothetically speaking, you do make it. You become a big artist, and we can name a few of them that has done it. You become a big artist. You don't want to pay nobody. What happens? Because even if you know how to do it and you can do it yourself, you're not going to have time to do it. You still got to pay somebody to do it. You still got to pay a road manager. Sure, sure. You still got to pay a manager. You still got to pay people to, 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 to act out the roles because you don't have time to do it. And if you're a mega superstar and you don't pay these people right, your company's going to crumble. Sure. That's why, like I told you earlier, I'm working on a podcast, and my podcast is going to be called Business is a Talent. The urban community does not respect business as a talent. That's why the hip-hop community makes all this money, but we give it all away. Classes in session with Greg Street. We, no, business is a talent. We give all the money away. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you spent four, five million dollars on jewelry. For what? You know, some things too. I mean, look, everybody to each is their own street, you know? But like, even like some Nobody are, likes an artist because they got five million dollars. But change. check this out, check this out. There'll <laughs> be dudes that will work six months on a track, maybe get a hundred grand for that track, and then go throw in a strip club that same night. Not the whole hundred. They might throw five. <laughs> nah, people throw it. People throw it. People throw it. But that's but but then again, that's people's choice of what they want to do with their money. That's their choice, you know. But one one thing I will say, I don't want to lose. I don't. But we got to get a little smarter, though. Of course, of course, we need to be. And and, and somebody like you, with all that experience and seasoned veteran, can help people. You know, I don't want to lose the uh, future. Uh, Black people don't play consultants. <laughs> no consultants. We rather. Let me tell you something. In in our community. You can take a guy, right? He says he want to build a record company. Premium Pete, Greg Street, anybody, anybody who knows the game, okay, you got a million dollars you about to invest in this company. We would go spend a million dollars on a project when you could have paid a Premium Pete or a Greg Street $100,000 to show you how to do it right. So you wouldn't throw your million dollars away sure. and then it didn't work. And now you're looking crazy. Mm. And now you're saying everybody screwed you. Now you screwed yourself. And now you and now you <laughs> and now you're back to the And beginning. you're mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're mad. Yeah. And you ain't getting nothing out. But you don't look at the cooperation, you don't look at Coca-Cola and Sprite and Chevrolet and McDonald's and Popeyes and Burger King and all these big companies who 
They got people on staff. They got people to show them and tell them little things to make sure that they're not just out here throwing away their money because they don't know. You know, I, I've been owning this company for all these years and the industry's changed. You got to go out and get people who understand how to put these pieces together and you got to pay them. You're going to save money and you're going to make more money. And you're not going to throw us, throw away as much money. But for us, experience is always the best teacher. Mm. And it's crazy because like, you got everybody talking about these top 50 hip-hop lists. I want to see the top 50 list of who's making the most money off the hip-hop community, off the hip-hop culture. What is the top 50 companies that are benefiting the most off of the hip-hop culture? And I guarantee you, is nobody that look like anybody that's in the hip-hop culture. Mm. Mm. For Lamborghini, Ferrari, Rolls Royce, Bentley, Mercedes, Porsche, um, the jewelry makers, um, Gucci, Louis. White t-shirts. Yeah, like Nike. We should have a company that make white, like to make Nikes and stuff like that. I mean, these companies have been built over a long period of time, but it's nothing to say, hey, look, let's go figure out how we can open up our own company to sell blank t-shirts. Yeah. Just blank T-shirts. We're not going to print on them. We're we just going to make them and sell them to the people that make T-shirts. Why is there a, com- a company in the urban community that, community that does that? Like, it's crazy. Like, I look at I look at Kaepernick, right? And I'm not going to say he's dumb. I'm not going to say he's stupid. But he made a crazy move that could have really been big. But... He, he took this harebrained idea that I'm going to kneel for the national anthem and that's going to help me make a difference in police brutality in the inner city. Like, are you kidding for real? You think that's going to happen? What does the NFL owners in, fo- in NFL football have to do with po- police brutality? Now, if you just say, okay, listen, I'm going to get 10 players from my team and we're going to start a movement, and we're going to get players from other teams to start a movement. Once we get guys from, say, five or six teams, then we go to the owners and we present what we're trying to do and get the owners involved. Because you got to think, if you own a team and you run a stadium, how many police officers work at every football game? No, a lot. A lot. Yeah. So you got some influence. They're on the field, during the I'm, side. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jerry Jones and – and, and um. Arthur Blank and a few and, other and Robert Kraft and Robert Kraft and a few other owners say, "Hey, hey, I got some players that want to have a meeting with the chief of police and the mayor and the governor, and let's figure out how we can put together a movement for this police brutality. They really, they're they're really concerned about this. How can we really make something happen? Like it, he he didn't organize it, and it, it and I, I I don't know him, so I don't know why he didn't organize it and and really think it all the way through. But it's like." I can't go to V103 and say, I want to do this without talking to my bosses about it and making them understand why I want to do it and see if I can get them to buy into it. Like, I think I got so much money, I can just go do this, and I don't think it's going to be no consequences, no repercussions. Mm. And then everybody get mad at Jay-Z because he's just an opportunist. (laughs) You know? He's hove. He hoeing. (laughs) That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, when was the first time Jay-Z uh, came out to the radio station? Were you were in Houston or Atlanta? Atlanta. Probably 95, 96. What did you think about him? I, I think Jay's smart. He's a smart guy. 
He's a smart guy. He's, he's, he, he, I mean, you can't. One thing that we got to stop doing is trying to analyze and figure out something from the outside looking in, not knowing everything that's really going on. You can't look. If 10 people look at one thing, they're going to see 10 different things. You know what I'm saying? One of the worst things in the world when Master P said, I sold all these records out the trunk of my car and everybody started thinking I could sell them. <laughs> <laughs> like, y'all understand? Y'all, y'all think this man went out and sold a million records out the trunk of his car. Y'all really believe it because he told, he said that. So you think because he said that or you saw him say that and you think he did it, now you're going to go out here and try to do it. And, and you're going to be successful. You're going to have this big independent label. Nah, Master P had a big successful company because he had a, un, he had an uncensored deal for his distribution through priority, meaning they had to put out every record he brought to the table, how he wanted to put it out. Mm. But he ain't never tell you that. He just told you, I sold all these records out of my car independent and you believed it and you went out here and tried to do it. But and that makes it harder for other people trying to, uh, emulate that. You know what I mean? Yeah, people trying to emulate it. You know, it's just, because we don't do the research. We don't do the research. We don't want to hire a consultant. We don't want to ha- take advice from somebody who can help us really put put us in the right direction and understand the value of that. Like I was telling, in two thousand two, when Outcast put out Speaker Box Love Below, that was actually my idea. And it wasn't really about trying to create the biggest selling album in hip hop. I knew that for every album they sold, it would be counted as one. I knew that. Because it's in the same package. But my whole vision for that was I didn't want the media to tear them apart. Mm. So my idea for the double solo album was I didn't want the media to put Big Boy against Dre and Dre against Big Boy. Mm. That was the real reason. Because if you put the albums out separate and one sells more than the other one, then you create a, a, a you, you tear, you tear, sure. uh, you tear up an iconic brand. Cause at the time it wasn't what it is now. But if you're looking at, if you're looking into the future, you're looking at the vision. If this brand continues to get big, you guys got to stick together. Like I can remember the day we, we talked about it. We was at my Benjamin's house on the east side when she lived out Columbia Drive. Like they were talking about doing solo records. I'm like, if y'all do a solo album, y'all got to package them together. And it should be one song on the album, or a couple songs on the album that y'all put together as singles to release as outcast records because you've created a brand. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when you pray, when you play, when you pray for a blessing and you finally get it, you don't just get so egotistical to where you say, well, I'm going to do this by myself. I don't need you anymore because you created something. It'd be like, man, you creating Coca Cola. Then I decide, you know what? Pete, I'm going to let you keep Cola. I'm going to take Coke. I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. Mm. And then everything falls apart. Yeah, that makes no sense. Right. And. It's the biggest selling album in hip hop history because it was packaged like that. Because if it wasn't packaged like that, Eminem would have the biggest selling album in hip hop yeah. history. How many did they do? It's still they did over ten million. Yeah, it's a diamond. Yeah, they're probably close to fifteen now. Fuck, that's crazy, man. And you gave them the advice on that? Yeah, they talked about it on MTV. They talked about it in a few interviews. I got the video. MTV. I actually had MTV send me the video of it. It was on the show with, on TRL with uh, Lala and DJ Clue. You ever have an interview up in the radio that uh, in the radio station that had to stop? You know, meaning like you like you know, it was just a terrible, terrible interview. You know, I've had them, but I know how to handle it to where the artists don't really see see what it is. Like, you got you got to understand, like a lot of these artists get into the game and they haven't been trained for media. Sure, sure. So you can't be mad at them because they don't know. 
You know what I'm saying? So you try to help them and make them understand, like, you know, you might need to work on some stuff. But different people take advice different, so you got to know how to talk to them even if you're going to have the conversation. But I train myself in how to diffuse it where they don't know it went bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, now. Because you don't want to make people look stupid. Yeah, like, of course. I'm not into the, are we finished? Are we done? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not into that. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to get a million views on YouTube, on Instagram by making somebody look bad that I can help. True. Better themselves. Like, why, why would I take advantage, take advantage of somebody like that to make a few dollars off a YouTube video? When you can help somebody position themselves to be better in a craft that they trying to make hundreds of millions of dollars from. Sure. No, that's uh, that's that's that that's how we should look at everything. Of course, to 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 make sure that we're pushing forward, you know, and evolving. I mean, that's think. why that's why, like what you were saying, like you want people to see and people to hear the purpose of this this podcast. You want people to know who Greg Street is and blah blah. Like I, I kind of like got over that a long time ago because I saw after the after the outcast situation. Um, the owner of K104, he's like one of my mentors, uh, Hyman Childs, Jewish guy. He told me when the whole thing came out with the double album and it was all over MTV, he told me, he said, Greg, I'm going to tell you something. The problem that you have is the people that you hang around don't understand what you have in your head is worth more than they have in their bank account. Mm-hmm. And I ask people in Atlanta all the time, that's the reason why we don't really know of any black billionaires in Atlanta that have made money from the culture because there should be a lot of Jay-Z's and a lot of Puffy's and a lot of Beyonce's, but because we don't understand business as a talent. And once we get money, we think we're the smartest person on planet earth and we don't listen. Like, I don't know if you heard Jeezy on the um, drink champs. He's like, when they was talking about, he was talking about when they went to, um, to the magic, Jay-Z took them to the magic show. Mm -hmm. But when Jeezy came out, when he really blew up, that's when I was flying back and forth from Dallas to Atlanta. So when I would go to the barbershop on Fridays before I flew back to Atlanta on Saturdays, everybody in the Dallas knew that I worked in Atlanta. So it would be like, man, bring me one of those snowman shirts. Bring me one of those snowman shirts. So that was during the time the throwback jerseys was big. So I went to Jeezy. I was like, Jeezy, check this out. Dog, listen, bro. And it wasn't, I wasn't trying to do the deal with him. I wasn't going to make a dollar off of it. Mm. I was like, bro, if you make a snowman shirt, Put a patch on it like they got on the, on the throwback jerseys. Mm-hmm. And you go on BT, you say, listen, this is the official Snowman t-shirt. And this is where you can buy it from, off of my website or from these particular stores. I'm like, bro, you'll make more money from that Snowman t-shirt in the next two years than you will make from Def Jam in the next 10 years. <laughs> and what did he say to you? Oh, man, you know, Jay-Z finna hook me up with the Russians, man, finna do this clothing line. Just say, bro, listen. In this culture, where we are right now today, the most profitable item in the clothing business is the T-shirt. You already got it. So if you watch the Drink Champs interviews, like when he went to the Magic Show, the people was telling him, like, hey, Jeezy, man, thank you, man. We just want to thank you for putting everybody's money in people's pockets. He's like, what y'all talking about? The Snowman Street. He's like, man, they were selling them. And they asked, like, did you trademark? He's like, no, nah, Greg Street came to me and told me. Gave me the whole play. I should trademark it and what I should do with it. But I was like, I'm trying to sell records. I don't know nothing about that. But... He listened to Jay Z, <laughs> and it is what it is. <laughs> Listen, man, that's a, that's crazy. That's a, it, 
it's it's but it but it's very common. It's very common. To yeah, happen. because you're looking at Jay Z like he's the big successful yeah. homie, and he know what he's talking about. You know, not everybody, and no, no disrespect to uh, you know, obviously Jay is a, a god, but you know, I don't mean him. I'm speaking in general. Not everybody has your best interests in mind. They may give you some advice. But not everyone's gonna like lead you there or take you there. You know, you when, got, when you hear when you hear somebody like you, like you're really like 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 putting that out there, like yo, if you do this, I probably like, like some, people, some people won't even take that time that time in their head to really put that uh, effort to. But know? so y'all think Jay Z, like he said, so I'm a businessman. Yeah, like he's a businessman. Jay Z has never had any successful brands. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. S. Dog Carter was cool. That was it. Was cool. It was all right, but it, it wasn't mega big because he's a businessman. He's doing business behind the scenes. He's doing business like you, you've never seen nobody pay five thousand dollars for a pair of autographed Jay Z sneakers. You never seen nobody yeah. pay five hundred dollars for a Jay Z T shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like you got people that pay two three hundred dollars for a Travis Scott T shirt, sure. five hundred dollars for a Kanye T shirt because they created brands. In the fashion space, you know what I'm saying. Jay Z is a clean dresser. He's a nice dresser, but he's never created brands around products. You know, he's just made money off his himself being a brand as an artist. But it has never been about the extension on the other side. It's been about like the business side of I'm gonna go over here and do this deal with MTV and create this live show. I'm gonna go. You know, create this platform with these guys with title, you know, but it's not about, and it, and, I, and I think it's genius because it's like, you didn't know Tom, you didn't know um, Elon Musk, you didn't know um, none of these big tech guys until their companies became popular. Sure. So I think from the outside looking in, just me, myself, and I'm not saying it's right, I think Jay-Z looks at business from that standpoint. It's not just about, yeah, Jay-Z can get in the doors, Jay-Z, but the business deal is really going to be based off the business. Mm. But you got these other guys like, geez, you created a brand with the snowman. You could do something with this. This could be big. This could be huge. But why wouldn't, I don't understand why wouldn't he get somebody that can help him with that? If you're not going to do it, then why don't you just get somebody? Like we spoke about. Because once you start thinking you're the smartest person, because you got the money and you became successful, you don't understand that Premium Pete could come to you with an idea that can make a hundred million dollars, and he may only want ten percent. Yeah, because it's really based off of your back. Sure, sure. But you now you don't see it, and if you can make a hundred million dollars, it's a lot of moving parts in that hundred million. So, like people look at record deals, like, oh man, you got screwed because you only got twelve percent. You only got twelve points. You only got fifteen points. But if the person with the red company is paying for everything and you get 15%, when you break it all down, you're probably getting 40 or 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But for people who don't know the business, who just run in their mouth, they don't get it. Man, that's uh Business is a talent. But yeah, it's, it's coming <laughs> soon with Greg. It's coming soon. You know, you know, um, 25 years in the radio business. You know, we keep on saying this, but it's a long time. It's not normal. Right? 25 years just in Atlanta. They don't count okay. Dallas. Let's say 30 years. They don't years. count Houston. Let's say 30. They don't count Mobile. But 25 years, V103. Okay. At Atlanta. Okay. On the radio. You know, we also think about, you went through, a, there's a couple of program directors. Um, you know, you never, you never had a, a feeling of like, 
you wanted to leave one day or get out or, or just give up on this shit. Did you ever feel like that? No, it's fun. I like it. It's what I do. It's yeah, me. but out of 25 years, you know, you know, like sometimes like we can have these feelings where, you, you know, you get tired, tired, not tired of it, but meaning like. This is so easy. Yeah. Because it's what I do. Yeah. It's so easy. Like. My, my my president and general manager of V103, like he like he tells me all the time, like like one one day, we a couple years ago, right about a year ago, he created the Greg Street Award, and um, every quarter we turn in our public service stuff that we do. So he talked about this in a meeting, and then we had an event because we had some people that was leaving and different things was going on. So we had an event to celebrate them, and at this at this event. He took my public service stuff that I do on my own at the radio station has nothing to do with because I had so much. He printed it out on step and repeat banners. It was like four banners, mm. like with just little bitty writing. Like he took from the email and printed it out like sheets of paper. It's like this guy does all this stuff on his own from going to schools and giving away scholarships and paying kids to read through his We Need to Read program and, you know, supporting uh, youth athletics and um, supporting teachers and supporting different things in the community just on his own without the radio station even booking it. He's doing all this stuff on his own. It's like, it's, it's what I like to do. So it's like, if I'm going to stop doing what I like to do, the difference is some people have jobs. If you go... If you didn't dream about working at McDonald's as a kid, owning McDonald's or being a manager, and you just go to McDonald's every day, and you 30, 40 years old, you put on an apron and you fry hamburgers or you fry fry fries, you clean up, and when you get through, you take your apron off, hang it up, and then you go back home, and you don't really think about what you're doing. Like, I do radio, I do music, I do community service 24 hours a day on my own, in my head. Like, my boss would tell me sometimes, I need you guys to be here an hour early. But, like, I prep for my show all day. Mm. I'm thinking about this all day. I'm looking at everything that's going on all day. What's going on in the, on the news? What's going on in social media? What's going on in everything around the community, in the city? Politics, sports, music. Just the whole lifestyle, the whole culture, fashions, sneakers, fishing, motorcycles, all this stuff. I'm thinking about this every day, 24 hours a day. So if I stop doing this, what am I going to do? Mm. No, if, I, if I won the lottery and just say if I won $100 million, then I would still do it, but I could just do it. Like, just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you worked, obviously, so many years in the radio in the radio industry, in the music industry, and made money, you know? Um, I'm sure you made more money later than in the beginning. You accumulated also, you know, I can't, we can't, we can't end this episode without mentioning how powerful, there's a lot of artists that I speak to that, I, that we talk about sneakers, and sneakers has always been popular in, you know, our minds. You know what I mean? Uh, you're one of those guys that, uh, like, like like a lot of our friends, you know, bought one to rock, one to stock way before it was even cool. You know, uh, accumulating all different things that you loved. You know, we had, a, we, we had, you know, we still have, I feel like, you know, but at one point in time, I would say, you know, you would be copping like crazy, crazy and crazy and crazy. 
to a, a collection and, and shouts to G Rock. I know he, he had that shoe game video. What was it like? What three or four parts? Um, well, the, actual, the first, the first, the first show me your collection video was uh, was on the shoe game. I did it on the shoe game dot com, and just to give you a brief history of that whole situation, when I started Sneaker Friends. Sneaker Friends was actually a party to celebrate the launch of a website called um, sneakershow.com. Mm. But the guy who built the website for me, this was like before blog sites was popular. The guy who built the website for me in like 2005, he didn't understand what I was trying to do because I'm not a tech guy. So I was trying to explain to him before all these websites blew up and made all these millions of dollars. I was trying to explain to him like what, what, the vision was, but he didn't understand it. So he just wanted to be paid to build a website. So this was back when you had to really be a tech person to even maintain a website. Sure, sure. So he didn't really get it. So Sneaker Friends actually became bigger than the website. So after the website failed, G-Rock came up with the idea to do the shoe game. Mm-hmm. Because he had people in his family who understood it and knew how to do it because they was doing it in other areas, like dealing with hair, with uh, ThirstyRoots.com and Calvin and his and D-Rock's sister. So, but I did the Show Your Collection video. That was the first time somebody ever did anything like that. Mm. And um, How many pairs was that? Back then? Yeah. That was, what, 2007, 2008? Uh, maybe. I don't know how many. I didn't show my whole collection. I just showed like the stuff that people wanted to see at one point in time. And then we did the other ones. Then we did the one where it was like he had to, he took it and made it like three parts. And then I did the one with George Kill for Nice Kicks. Yep, yep. Shouts to Nice Kicks. Shouts to George. I Kill. did that one. Um, now, now, what would you say at one point in time was the most sneakers you ever ever had? Or the right now, I probably got about like I went and got the Travis Scott today. Travis, I still need the fours, bro. I need the first fours. But let how many pairs would you say you have? You have had the highest amount of pairs you had collected at one point in time. I still have them. I got, probably got about 1,600 pairs. Yeah. And you, that was the most you think you ever had? Yep. And what would you say that number would even equal to? Because some are a lot. It's, it's, it's not all GR. It's a lot of like exclusive pairs. There's a lot of them. Like most of the ones that are in my collection collection, there's only like a few GRs in there. Yeah. But the GRs that are in there are like some real like heat. They were GRs when they came out, but they became classics as they became older. Like the De La Souls, um, the Dornbecker stuff. Remember when Dornbecker first came out, when they start, for, first started doing the Dornbecker fundraiser, they used to give us all those yep, shoes. Yep, yep, yep. Like I got, I had two pair twos and yep. two pair threes and... Um, two pair ones. Yep, and the sixes. It's two pair. I still got two pair yep, sixes. I remember that. <laughs> yep, I got them. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, it, it's crazy too because you came up with sneaker friends. I remember and you formed, you know, this is years ago. It was, to me, it was one of the most. Uh, it was like 05. But to me, it was one of the most, uh, amazing names. You know what I mean? Like sneaker friends. Like, yo, yeah, we, you know, it, it just seems. But you know what the crazy part about that is? When I look at when when you look at all the people who really capitalized off the sneaker game, all those guys used to come to sneaker friends. Ronnie Feed came to sneaker friends. Yeah, yeah. Joe uh, Lapuma. P- Joe Lapuma came to sneaker friends. Yeah. Um, a, a, a lot, a lot of people. Um, Ko from K- ATATF and uh, uh, Windy City Soul. Windy City Soul. P. 
P. Yeah. yeah, P actually gives me credit for it because P, when the city sold Pete for Chicago, he sold Rick Ross some shoes. Yeah, yeah I remember that, yeah. And Rick Ross took a picture and he posted like street, man, that changed my life. And he always talks about that. And um, Pete, uh, Pete from Windy City Soul is Greek. I can remember sneaker friends being like on the Greek holiday. He's like, I told my girl, we coming. Like, <laughs> we coming to sneaker friends. And he came and like, you know, just all the relationships were from that whole situation, like from um, Dave Jeff. Yeah, um, Dave Jeff. Mafia from uh, Sneaker Freak. Yep, I yep, flew yep. over one time yep, from yep. Amsterdam. Um, Joe LaPuma. Joe LaPuma. Myself. I fought you, Clark Kent, Mayor, Mayor Fran Alation. All day. All day. Like, it's like, I really, I want to, I want to, my next step with that, what I want to do, and I hadn't talked about this on a public platform, but I'm going to talk about it on your platform because, like, you was a real supporter. Like, Pete always came. He always showed up. He always did anything he wanted to do and anything, not just anything he wanted to do. He always did things to try to make sneaker friends better, like mm. to hook up with New Era. We had a hat, been trying to get back with New Era. The guy, Cal, who's my person who I was over there with, he left. So we hadn't did a hat, but like just to watch out all those relationships, like to do a sneaker with, to do a sneaker friends collaboration with Adidas with Greg Bethard and then to create a relationship with Wex and, um, the new era hats and just the things that we were able to do with it. We went to Toronto. We went to Toronto. We did it at the new era store, downtown Toronto. It's like, and, um, the guy from, the, from Charlotte, from the Bobcats hit me on Facebook. Yes, yes, yes. We went down went, there. We went to, we went to Charlotte and did one at the, at the arena for the Bobcats with, um, with them. And like, just to watch what it evolved and what it came to for, Sneaker con and all these people like we knew what we had, but it's like with the with the with the music business, we just couldn't get the team together to make them understand yeah. what it could be. But like looking back on, it, it's still not too late because the next level of it is coming. We're gonna do, and Premium Pete is gonna be a part of it, not just a part of making it happen, but a part of it financially. Whatever part he wants to play, we're gonna do. The Sneaker Friends Hall of Fame. Mm. That's going to be the next level. We're going to bring it back annually. I hadn't did it in a few years because um, remember they remodeled State Farm Arena because I had a partnership with yep. the Hawks and with, with Phillips Arena before they changed the State Farm Arena. So like really just getting the right location and making it was like when you came to Sneaker Friends, like Sneaker Con and all that stuff is dope, but Sneaker Friends was really on a whole nother level. Sure. We was on a whole nother level, like, you know, with the autographed sneakers from, from Raekwon, from Raekwon and Big Sean and Just Blaze DJing and Clark Kent DJing and the different people that just showed up. Big Boy Outcast, Dre came before, yeah. Big Boy came, just came. Like, it's not people that I was paid to can't come. They just came. Yeah. Bone Crusher, Killer Mike, Dallas Austin. Yep. Diamond uh, D. Diamond D. Just the people that just showed up. Jason Jeter. Yep. Yeah. Jason Jeter. Yep. Um, Rick Ross. Yep. So, uh, Yellow Wolf, uh, B.O.B. So we're going to bring it back. And, um, you know, it's crazy too. You're, you know, and one thing I've always admired about you as a friend is you're a hustler and you do like eight things. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, 
Sneaker Friends was special. It's always special to me. You know, think about like we got the Bill, uh, Bill, uh, the, the Bill Low Gallery. We have we, and Adidas we, sent the big shoe. The big shoe. We, we, like we had, there was a lot of moments and memories. But check this out. You were also doing your radio thing and this and that. Maybe, and I'm not speaking for you, but maybe, you, like, maybe you didn't have enough time to make. You know, like we had the, all the ingredients, but we didn't have the team, like you were saying. That, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like, because look at like, like we could easily, and, and no disrespect to you, Ming. I mean, they, they, I love them, but sneaker con, sneaker friends, it, it could have easily been that. Yeah, way bigger. It could have been yeah. way bigger, and it, it still can. It's just we gotta um, just put the team together. That's why you try to tell G Rock from the shoe game, because later on he created a relationship with the guy who's trying to do kicks fairs, like, like. I love y'all to death, but y'all just don't get it. <laughs> like we we family, but y'all just don't get it. It, it became the same situation as like the rappers and the people trying to be in the music business. Everybody want to have their own thing, but everybody could take this and make it huge, and everybody could be a part of it. Mark Cuban was not the only person who got rich off broadcast.com. I worked in Dallas. Every time I see Mark Cuban, he's singing six o'clock time for Street to Rock. Yeah. So a lot of people became millionaires at broadcast.com. A lot of people became millionaires at eBay. A lot of people became millionaires at Apple. A lot of people became millionaires at, at Instagram and Facebook and so on and so forth. But in, in, in our culture, in order for us to really take the culture forward, we got to start understanding being on some of these teams and be a part of some of these teams. Like, cause when you look at it, when you look at Jay Z and you look at, um, the people that's around him, that's been around him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What's my man's name? Uh, Bihar. And, um, um, Tata. Lenny. Lenny, uh, Lenny S. S. When you look at the team, when you look at QC, when you look at P and Coach and Simone and, and, and Tamika and Twin and Two Official. When you look at the team, when you look at anybody in our culture who's put together a team of people, it's always been a phenomenon because everybody understands their position. It's like a football team or a basketball team. You can't be the, you can't be the point guard out here trying to play down low. You can't be the quarterback trying to tell, um, the, the, the linebacker what to do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You need to be over here studying plays to figure out what you need to do when offense gets the ball back and listen to the offensive uh, coordinator and what needs to be going on. Like, everybody got to figure out how to play their position because in everything, everybody can be successful. But a lot of us, we don't, we, like, you got execution people, you got idea people, you got front people. Like, when you look at anybody that's been successful, in the urban, look at Dr. Martin Luther King. He may not have been the smartest person in the group, but he had the voice. But you, how many people? You had a whole ton of people: Reverend Orange, Rab Abernathy, and Dr. Lowry, and all all these people that was a part of this whole movement. And we all just talk about Dr. King, Dr. King, Dr. King, and that's true. But John Lewis has been in Congress for how long? <laughs> Andrew Young has made how much money in Atlanta? You know, Rap Abernathy made how much money Atlanta did so much things, did so much in Atlanta. These people were products of this whole movement and they benefited from it. And, mm. you know, you're not trying to, you, we don't celebrate Dr. Lowry Day. We don't celebrate Reverend Orange Day. We don't celebrate Rap Abernathy Day, but they was just as big a part of the whole movement as Dr. King was. 
And when you apply that whole chemistry, that whole formula, it's like a cell phone. If I take the smallest screw out of my cell phone, it may not work right. So, like, when you look at a jigsaw puzzle, every piece of the puzzle has a different shape. But when you put it all together, what do you get? Mm. You know, I could be a, a, a Cardon Blue certified chef. Or you could be a, a certified chef. I'm the dishwasher. I can mess your whole business up. Mm. If the dishes is nasty, people don't want to come eat your food. So my position is just as important as your position. The guy who sweeps the floors and cleans the bathrooms, his position is just as important as your position. Troy, you walk into the bathroom right there. This place yeah, got a fucking nasty bathroom. Bathroom nasty. You start thinking what? What do you start thinking in a restaurant establishment? Yeah. You start thinking that the food could be nasty. Yeah. You can't go to Hell's Kitchen in Vegas and think that it's successful only because of the chef. Yeah. <laughs> it looks nice. The atmosphere is cool. He may not even design it. Somebody else may be the designer. He's just a chef. But the design, the decor, the layout, the way it flows, the way the menu looks, how it's put together, all that is just as important as the chef. And none of those people was on TV. But I bet you they are rich. That's right. <laughs> the business, business is, what's the name of the thing? Business is a talent. Business is a talent by Greg Street. <laughs> I want you to uh, pay attention to that. Keep him uh, at DJ Greg Street. Keep it locked to uh, what Greg Street is doing because not only is he a seasoned vet, but he's a, a, a good, good dude, man. If that audio didn't work before, and obviously this is moving and grooving, uh, you know, born in, in Hattiesburg, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Mississippi uh, you Mobile, know, Alabama, Houston, yeah. Texas, Dallas, Texas. And then move Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. You know, and, and not that uh, this may be a, a question, obviously, to, that that could be simple. But you're born in, in Mississippi, and, and, and to where you are now, did you did you ever did you ever envision that? Did you ever think like that this could be possible? I that you could be successful. That you could that you could help uh, uh, add value to the culture, and, and that you could do what you love for a living. Yeah. I believed it because I studied it. I was a student. I re every until the day I die, I will remain a student of the game. The day you think you know everything and nobody can teach you anything, and nobody. My mother used to tell me something all the time. You can learn from anybody. You can learn from a dog if you sit there and watch him long enough. No, you can learn from people who do wrong. You can learn what not to do. You can learn from people who do right. You can learn what to do. So it's just it's it's all types of ways to understanding that. Remaining a student is one of the major keys to success. Um, I read about it. I read about Tom Joyner. I read about Russ Parr and and just the different people. And I studied the music business and I studied the radio business. And I understood that in order to be successful in radio, I need to make sure that I'm an integral part of the sales department, making sure the radio station make money, <clears throat> making sure... I bring money to the table, not just from being the number one rated personality for years and having the biggest numbers, but actually having relationships with clients and relationships with people that will come into the radio station and say, hey, I talked to Greg Street. He gave me some good ideas and I think we should do this. I want to be on y'all radio station. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. Or just giving ideas to the, I've given away, I've given away multi-million dollar ideas that I could have done myself mm. 
because I know what it creates in certain situations when you try to do everything just for yourself. Mm. Sometimes you got to understand the game that you're playing, the system that you're playing in, and how it works. Because it's not about making a whole lot of money. I heard Jay-Z say this. It's not about selling one album, ten, selling 10 million. I'd rather sell 10 albums, a million copies of 10 albums, than 10 million copies of one album. Mm. Mm. Now, as we uh, wind this episode down... I don't. I, I. I. keep on feeling like I'm going back. Uh, there was like so many gems, so much radio history, so much of your history, and and we're in Atlanta, and I don't want to lose this. Rocco brings you future, and this guy has become a star. And, 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 you know, there's so much talent in hip hop, so much talent with Gunna, Future, YFN Lucci, Migos, um, um, who, I mean Ti, Young Thug, Atlanta. Like is 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 fucking powerful. It's because of Atlanta. Atlanta has been the spot since the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. I was telling you in the other episode, in the other segment about there's a book. Let me tell you the name of it. What's the name of the book? You always got to give uh, listeners a chance to. There's uh, a book. There's a couple books, but this is one. It's called Going Against the Wind. It's a um, it's a pictorial history of African Americans in Atlanta, and it shows you like Peachtree Street back in the early 1900s. It talks about this guy who was a boxer back in the early 1900s who was a championship boxer, and he built this big house on the west side, and he had nice cars and nice stuff. And I remember when I first came to Atlanta. Um, just looking at it because I actually met some people from Atlanta, like the SELC when I was in Dallas, they had, uh, they had a big celebration in, in Dallas, in, in South Dallas. And I got a chance to meet some of the people. And I can remember in like 1988, Warner Brothers came out with a collection of Martin Luther King speeches. And I used to drive every Thursday when I got off the radio in Mobile at BLX at 10 o'clock, I would drive to Hattiesburg and do the club on Thursday nights. And I used to listen to them speeches over and over and over and over and over. And just to, just to think, to get to Dallas and then to meet some of these people that's a part of this whole history. And then get to move to Atlanta in 95 and to really get to know Reverend Orange, to know Joseph Lowry, to know Jesse Jackson, to know Andrew Young, to know these people and get a chance to meet them and see them, you know, uh, Uncle Hosea Williams. I got a Hosea Williams time for Street to Rock drop. Really? Yes, because he used to come to WAOK Damn. and do a talk show sometimes. But to get to know these people and then to go get to do, do the history, Atlanta was a big movement before the Civil Rights Movement, way before. So Dr. Kingdom knew what Atlanta was in the late 1800s and early 1900s. So really, they just understood what everybody had took from the city to kind of shut it down. You know what I'm saying? Because they had Atlanta life where some black person knew, I'm going to start an insurance company. And if I could get 
the city to give me the contract to write the insurance for all the school teachers, all the sanitary workers, all the city employees. I can have a billion dollar company. Mm. Uh, these people knew this long time ago. No, when you when you when you from you you travel a lot. What's the vibe in the airport when you get off the plane in Atlanta versus anywhere else you ever got off an airplane? It's totally different. Yeah, it is totally different. When you get off the airplane in Atlanta and you walk through the airport, you know, like there's some black people in Atlanta getting a whole lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's it, it, it's always moving. You know, Atlanta is uh, like I said, it's always been a beautiful vibe. You know, I've been coming to Atlanta for uh, you know I don't know ten years now. It's just uh, or, or more. You know, it's a beautiful vibe, man. You know it. Uh, it, it, I, I, I felt that shit growing. You know what I mean. I felt that sh- the, the from the restaurants. All, I, I remember new restaurants opening up. You know what I mean. Like that's a big thing too. Restaurants have a lot to do. Oh yeah. With, with, with you know, j- just just having places that become a staple. Not only American Deli or places for wings, but yeah. like look at, look look at what look at what Pinky did with Slutty Vegan. Yeah. She made Burger King bring the Impossible Burger to Burger yeah, King. Yeah, yeah. She did that. Yeah. And take somebody to knock on the door. Just a movement, that, a movement that she created on Instagram with a food truck. Mm. But that's you got like Big that's Zach cool. with local green. You got the beautiful and just all these restaurants. That's and and even Arden's Garden. I yeah, fuck with yeah, Arden's Garden. Yeah, you, you know, food trucks are like gourmet on wheels. But you know, listen, man, listen. The 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 journey of Greg Street is, and unfortunately, I feel like some people don't even meaning yourself. Sometimes you won't even realize how special it's been because you're living it. You know what I mean? Thirty plus years in the in, in, in the radio, just turning your dreams into reality, doing what you love for a living, creating a lot of dope things, and at the same time, really helping a lot of people. You know, I remember I had wife and Lucci on uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, "Yo." I fuck with Greg Street. Like, you know, he even put my daughter on some drops and just like the way he supported me. Here's the thing, too. You want people to, you can't make everybody happy. (laughs) You want people to be, you can't make everybody happy, but you want to be able to support a lot of people and you come from a good place. And to be, that's why I was like, yo, we need to do an episode long form where people can understand who you are and how you are and and the gems that you drop and, and, and the things that you have. Like, your mind, like, you you think too much. You can't do everything. No, it's like. But I I I had to, I had to come I had to come to terms with myself on a whole lot of things when it comes to people knowing and people caring. Like I had to I had to I had to figure because I put records out. I've been involved with a lot of artists. I've been involved with a lot of projects, and um, I just had to come to terms with with the way. People accept certain things from certain people. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's. If you came up with the idea that created the biggest hip hop album in the history, if I was a white boy, I'd be a billionaire. Yeah. So I had to come to terms with that, with the racial side of it and how things work. Like, you just showed me the video today with Randy Moss, with Jordan, with the Travis Scotts. Yeah. Now, who in hip hop has been fishing and showing bass fishing on Instagram and on social media for the past few years? Greg Street. Hmm? Fishing in my Yeezys and showing them on Instagram. It's like, so you know the influence of what's going on, but it's like, 
coming from certain people, it's like some people just don't understand it. Like they really, they just don't get it. But if certain people step up to the plate, then they'll, they'll accept it. Like, like DJ Khaled is my guy. Mm. He's, he's like my brother, but people don't understand. Like he's a hustler. He works hard and I'm not taking nothing from him. But when you look at Master Flex, DJ Clue, DJ Self, Greg Street, when you look at us, you look at black people don't get the same treatment or the same type of opportunities. Mm. And black people don't support each other like we support everybody else. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I've been knowing Beyonce forever before they was even successful. I, I remember the day when Matthew Knowles knocked on the back door of K104 and asked me and Skip Cheatham to come meet his group. But if I asked Beyonce for a record, do you think I could get it? Mm. <laughs> you know, so so it's like, it's a whole lot that goes into it. And I, I don't, I, I'm not mad about it because I've been very successful at doing it the way I've done it. But it's like, it's just like, you have to understand how to build it to where you can be satisfied with what you built and you can be success. You can be satisfied with the success because from the hip hop culture, and we talk about all this hip hop culture stuff, but we as a people in the hip hop culture that creates all this stuff, we don't get it. Mm. Like my Sean is my guy. Mm. My Sean made a video the other day talking about tech, talking about uh, Takashi six, nine getting a $10 million deal. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, if you guys let this guy get back into culture and make this money and do this, do that, it's not about letting him back into the culture. The $10 million and the deal don't have anything to do with that. The $10 million has to do with every time Tech Nine puts, every time Takashi puts a song out, what he's going to do, he's going to do something crazy. And it's going to be all over TMZ. It's going to be all over the blogs. Everybody's going to be texting and typing about it, just like Donald Trump. And then he's going to put the record out. Mm. He put the record out. It's not about how good the record is. Yeah. If everybody's talking about him, the others, yeah, they, what's going to happen? Yeah. It's going to stream like yeah. crazy. Yeah. You don't even have to listen to the whole record. If you just go streaming and listen to it, he's going to get a stream. So most of the people that are, that's most of the people that are going to go stream it and listen to it, like, I put it to you like this right now. Name me five, six, nine records. Um, I don't know. You I can't mean, even Gummo, I mean, Gummo, um, and then the one that Scott Storch uh, produced with Tory Lanez on. That shit is uh, the only record I like where it's like, we be in the city on some hot shit. But what I'm saying, I, I don't know, maybe but, two. But, I don't know. but the point I'm trying to make is they're going to give him $10 million. They're going to give him a $10 million. I'm pretty sure it's not just they're going to give him a check for $10 million. He's probably going to have an opportunity to make $10 million if he, if, if sure, he, sure. Fulfill if he fills the contract, things, yeah. if he meets certain numbers and certain obligations in the contract. But the point is, the reason why they're giving him the money is not about him being a part of the culture. It's about how much he's going to stream just out of curiosity. Mm. They gonna make their money back off two or three records. Yeah, he don't have to do ten albums. They gonna make they gonna make their money back and make a profit off of five songs because they gonna they gonna own all the publishing. They gonna get all the streaming rights. They gonna get everything. That's wild. So 
We got to understand how the business works, how the how this how this whole thing comes together, because we 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 making too much money and we spending too much money the wrong way. We're not empowering. We're not empowering the hip hop community with the money that's coming from the hip hop community. We're just throwing it away. Mm. Like, like, like prime example. Okay, Rocco and Future went through their thing. Yeah. How much money do you think they spend in legal fees? Big money. Each one of those lawyers that got all that money, what did they have to do with what they created? Nothing. See my point? Some lawyers made millions of dollars negotiating a deal to separate these two guys from a business deal that they created themselves. That goes on in hip-hop all the time. All the time. Almost in every situation. The situations that don't go through that are looked at as being genius. And there's nothing genius about it. It's just doing good business. Sure, sure. If, man, you're making millions of dollars and I want to restructure the deal, are you going to be mad at me? You might be upset for a minute, but you're still making money. Yeah. And if it makes sense, it's cool. So why we just can't talk about it and figure this out ourselves instead of spending a million, two, three million dollars with this lawyer, a million, two, three million dollars with this lawyer, and they're going to be playing golf together, talking about us because yeah, we're some idiots. Case, yeah. I mean, that's real, real life gems, man. Yeah. That's real life gems. Listen, Street, man. Um, so many stories, man. <laughs> I, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got the recorder working on this one. We in Atlanta, internet. We, we, this is live from the hotel downtown Peachtree Street. You know, I, I, I hope the first one's good. If it is, I'm gonna mesh it into uh, this episode. Yeah, we had some technical difficulties, good. but check this out too. I want to make sure we mention this before we get out the podcast. Premium Pete and. It kind of it it, it I, I talked about the racial side of people not being able to get the credits and the accolades for what they do, but Pete is not black, but he's also kind of like a victim of that because he's one of the pioneers and creators of the whole Comeback Jack podcast series, which became legendary in the pod. It probably was the first. Was it the first? Big Urban Podcast? Yeah, Siphon Rosenberg did Juan Epstein, but we, 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 we uh, you know, they stopped, but we, we, we perfected it. Like, what, what, what was your role in the whole, um, Comeback Jack? I was co-host. I was co-host. But I mean, as far as the whole foundation, the beginning of it. Oh, yeah, we, well, we were, we started as a, as a, as a, what's it called, the online, uh, radio show. Now, I'm gonna tell you the crazy part about that. This is the crazy part about that. You was a part of that. You was part of the of of creating it, developing it, and I don't know specifically, but I guarantee you, even at the height that podcasts have grown to in 2019, that your numbers on your podcast are probably nowhere close to where the numbers were with Combat Jack. Yeah, no, well, that's legendary. People listen, still listen. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, oh, you mean my numbers are bigger now than then? No, no, no. 
the numbers then are bigger now. The numbers now, the numbers back then with the with the Combat Jack podcast were bigger than the premium. Yeah, premium. most there's there's a lot because people still go back to listen. There was like a blueprint of a lot of stuff there. there was, you have to understand something. I say this all the time. We had Chuck D come on. Uh, you know, Ice T, LL Cool J, um, um, you know, J. Cole did very few interviews, uh, for 2014 Forest Hill Drive that, you know, and did, did, you know, us, Wetterman and Angie Martinez. Um, not Wetterman, you hear me? It was Wetterman, you're right. Fuck, it was Wetterman, damn. Um, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make is when you would call a Chuck D or Ice T or, 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 or Rock Kim or whoever, when you would call these people, they didn't even know what the fucking podcast was. So when they came and sat down on the couch, so to speak, uh, and started kicking about their career, and people would learn more about them. It was one of the best marketing tools ever because people were like, oh, shit, I forgot about that album. Go and buy that album. Right. You know, I forgot this dude did this. Go go, go, go and dig back in the catalog. The point I'm making is you ask someone now to come on a podcast, they're like, yo, every, like 90 people asked me last week, all right, I'll come on yours because I'm cool with you. People are going to come on who they pick and choose to come on now. Back right. then, don't get me wrong, we had the relationships, but it was also like we started moving and grooving and nobody, they didn't know what it was, so they came and just sat down and spoke freely. You know, I, I, I always make that, that point because Keep in mind, like I said, if you ask Ice T to come on the podcast, not meaning you in general, somebody they they already they already know. Like everybody asks them, right? Back then, like I said, it was like, yo, I don't know what the fuck this is, but you all doing here? But it wasn't nothing different than radio. It was just longer form content. You know, it was like going over the journey and career. It was learning that somebody like your favorite artist, like L.O. Cool J, like when he says, you know, a certain like you know a certain tracks, what the fuck he fully meant because he didn't get a chance to fully explain that. And, uh, you know, we created something special, man. And, and, you know, bro, let me tell you, in this world, you know, I travel all over on different things that I do. I go to Japan, there's people who have the Combat Jack show. People remember me from that. People remember Combat or, or whatever we did. And, and that's special, man, to create something that could, that could live with people. And even my show, the things that I do, I have people... You know, all over, like, thank me. You know, I've, I've, dude hit me the other day, you know, talking about he listens to it with his son. You know what I mean? And, 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 and thanks for all the gems and thanks for the pot. Like, to be honest with you, like, you're a radio guy. You're a hustler. You're an entrepreneur. You're a renaissance man. But I'll be honest with you, from my mindset and, and, and professionalism of, of, of podcasting, I heard tremendous gems in this episode. Somebody could learn something. Somebody could take that with them and help them in their life. That's the thing. We don't know what we're going. You know, we don't, we, you don't know what other people are going through in their life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Like for me, and like, you, and, and, and let me be clear too. You've done that for people thirty years in the radio business, and probably, I mean, you heard some of it. Like, so street, I grew up on you. I street, street. Thank you. I did this. Oh yeah, every day. But I'm saying, think about it. that's. But we were saying, you were saying something. You were saying it's crazy, bro. I was gonna tell you it's crazy. Like I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you a prime example, of, like what I'm talking about, how people. Pay attention and don't pay attention. <clears throat> in in 2013-14, I came up with this idea and nobody understood it. And the, the whole idea was I went to Kelly G. I went to um Who's Kelly G? At BET. Okay, at BET. <clears throat> I went to Kelly G. I went to Stephen Hill. I told him about the idea. I even went to Ryan Glover at Bounce. At Bounce TV here in Atlanta. Nobody got it. And I was like, I'm going to finally do it. And when I do it, I'm just going to do it. 
and it's not going to get the recognition that it should get, but everybody's going to talk about it. And I know you probably saw it on my social media when I did the, um, when I did the ride, when I rode my bike from Atlanta to yes, LA yes. for the BET Awards. Yeah. Like nobody from BET ever even called yeah. me. Like it's crazy. And I got people over there, like they was tweeting me last week about the BET hip hop, the BET hip hop awards. Yeah. Like I always do the carpet. I always do the broadcast. It was like, could you imagine what kind of ratings that would have gotten on TV? Mm. <laughs> like it would have been an incredible show. Like on that Thursday before going into LA on that Friday, I did my show live from the Grand Canyon. Like every day when I was on that trip, I did my radio show at six o'clock. That was the time when we stopped, ate dinner and got ready to bed down for the next day. So just imagine what kind of, what kind of content. And, and I produced a video to it myself, but to have a network of somebody behind it, like it would have been crazy. So when I see, when I see people like Tyler Perry and I see people in the, in the industry like Irv Gotti and people that are doing different things, like I'm about to work on a, on a fishing TV show mm. and I'm, I'm going to do some with the bike stuff too. But it's like, it's, it, it's, it gets kind of difficult sometimes when you're dealing with people who don't understand how to, to watch outside the box. So when I first came up with the idea, you got to think Sons of Anarchy was the biggest thing on TV. Yep. Like 13, 14. Mm. And nobody got it. The radio station didn't even get it. It's like, you gonna, you gonna be able to do that? I'm like, yes, I can do it. Trust me. So the day when I left, the day I left and I started posting videos and pictures, then my phone started ringing. Hey, can you send us some pictures? Hey, can you send us some videos? I'm like, we should have had these beats before I left. Like, Cause I, I, I took a, I took a, a camera guy and I had a driver on the road with us so the camera guy could have, could ride with somebody so he could sure, get, sure, get, get the footage. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we had an incredible time on the trip, but like that trip got nowhere near the coverage it should have gotten. And it's probably my fault because I guess sometimes I'm not like the over salesman guy. Mm. Like, mm. you know, sometimes we think, the world sees what we see when we look sure, at the mirror. Sure, they should understand it or they should yeah. get it. Yeah. Yeah, like Ryan Glover from Bounce told me, like, we would never do a promotion that's promoting something about BET. I'm like, but you watch TMZ, you watch other networks. They talk about BET and other people talk about, they talk about each other all the time. It's like it has nothing to do with them. <laughs> Some people act is it's different. Man. Listen, uh, what's coming soon? The business of, uh, what did we say again? Business is a talent. Business is a talent by Greg Street. That's coming soon. Again, internet. So listen, I told you. At DJ Greg Street, Twitter, Instagram. And I'm going to do something different with the podcast. I'm trying to, well, you know, Intercom is a company, so I'm trying to figure out how to pitch this to them. This is my idea. I'm going to throw it out there. I know some people are going to try to bite it. I just want to make it a season. That's what I think you should do. I'm going to give you some advice uh, off air. Of of how we can make that special. It's gonna be a season, but this is how I want to make it special. I want to make the episodes short. I don't want, I don't want them to be long. I want them fifteen to be, minutes. I want them to be like ten minutes. Okay, ten minute episodes, so people can really listen to it and really get it and be looking forward to the next one. I like that. I like that. Listen, Street Man. Um, so many gems. A seasoned veteran, thirty plus years in the radio business. Sneaker friends, fishing, motorcycles, uh, you know, Rick Ross and, and, and really getting his career kicked off. Outcast helping him, uh, you know, with the. My other little brother, Sahai. Oh, Sahai the Prince, man. 
Where'd you hear Saha first? Uh, Greg Street. <laughs> Greg Street. I wish people told me I was crazy when I first told like Saha is one of the greatest. Oh, you crazy? My, <laughs> but it all goes back to what we talked about. People don't see it. Everybody, everybody want to see what's popular and what everybody else is on. Like you got to be able to see some of this. You got to be able to forecast some of this stuff. Like not everything, but you got stuff that you believe in. If you got an ear, if you got an eye. That's where the genius comes in. Mm. Mm. Say no more, man. Internet's the one and only DJ Greg Street. Frankie's home. Man, that was some episode with the one and only, the legend, DJ Greg Street. Greg Street. Man, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Internet's, I want to make an announcement. If you work at a brand, if you know a brand, if you have a brand, small, big, medium, little, whatever it is. You want to advertise on the Premium Pete Show? Email us at thepremiumpetshow at gmail.com. <clears throat> Again, that's thepremiumpetshow at gmail.com. If you know a brand or know somebody that works at a brand that wants to advertise on a podcast, whether it be the Premium Pete Show or other podcasts, I deal with that, okay? You want, you, you, you want help on your podcast. Your company wants to create a podcast. Email me. The Premium Pete Show at gmail.com. There's a lot of things we're doing. We got a production company. We're producing shows. We're scripting shows. Internet, so, you, know, so, you know, it's funny because for a long time, I've been in front of the mic. But for a long time, I've also been behind the scenes producing and scripting out shows. And many people don't know that because I don't talk about it. Sometimes, you know, if you're doing things, I always tell people, make more moves, make less announcements. But at the same time, I want more. I want to do more things with people. And if it's a good fit, Let's see, let's see, let's get to working. So listen, make sure you subscribe to the Premium Pete Show. You know, rate us and all that. Follow us on all the social medias. Email me uh, if you want to, like I said, about business or, or if you have some personal things. Again, one more time, it's thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. I appreciate you. Peace and blessings to you and your family. And I'll see you next episode. Cheers.